Ella? Hey, it's me. It's late. What time is it? Almost 10. I just called to check in on you. How's Brian? Fine. Now. What do you mean now? He got out. I, I couldn't find him. Got out? I went door to door. Finally found him in the park. He was staring at this child, just staring. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. I'm excited about this discussion. <laughs> Is that because you get to dust off Bremley? Uh, well, sure, there's that. But also, there's some quality creepy kid stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I understand why certain civilizations in the past stoned their, their you know, as in like threw stones at and not got them high, uh, their creepy little kids, you know, just bashed their heads off rocks and then flung them in a ravine. Because um, you need to nip that thing in the butt to do it. Yeah, when you've got a creepy kid on your hands, you can't just sit on that for too long. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, when, when they're warped justification for, for why they've done it, Easily the creepiest thing the show has mentioned in a while without you seeing it. Um, even if the intentions were pure behind it, Bo, um, that's a creepy fucking kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely a kid that you know is eventually going to do something heinous. And mm-hmm. we'll get to it, but there, there's actually a character in this, in this uh, set of episodes that is immediately just like, you know what? Sometimes you can just spot the bad ones. I wish I could lock them up forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I kind of love about these two episodes in particular is how the kind of invert the idea um, of what, um, you know, Ford is doing, particularly with his research. They kind of invert this idea of, you know, nature or nurture which hasn't really been fully established at this point of, you know, are you just born that way? Or does the does your environment in which you are born into play the impact into why you do the things you do? And it's interesting seeing kind of Bill have to go hammer and tongs in one direction with one idea and then when he hears the same justification and logic flung back at him in a manner which he can take as a personal view his kind of pivot change is is really really interesting, and the fact that he can't tell anyone about it makes you know makes it like the Manson stuff's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. All right, so let's uh, let's jump in here, mm-hmm. Duncan. This is the show. Welcome to the show, ladies. Oh, are ladies we recording? <laughs> yeah, why not? And why not? <laughs> I here's what I do, Duncan. I never record these. It's just that I do an eerily good impression of you, and I just record it back later. And well, that does make sense because I don't think I've ever uttered the word bejesus, but occasionally it slips into an episode. Yeah, well, you know, the, sometimes those those moments will startle the bejesus out of you, Duncan. <laughs> the heart wants what the heart wants. But you got to push. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, Duncan and Bo Hunt Minds. I'm the Bo of that. Uh, This is Duncan. Hello. And so what we're going to do is uh, we are going to talk about episodes five and six uh, over the halfway mark of uh, this here Mindhunter show on Netflix. What is about the behavioral, the early days of the behavioral science unit of the FBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
before we do that, uh, and Duncan, stop rushing me <laughs> to talk about the Mindhunter episodes. We're going to do that. And it's going to be very spoilery if you haven't heard the show before. Uh, it is very spoilery, but uh, you don't necessarily have to watch the show to enjoy the conversation because of uh, said spoileriness. Uh, yeah, we, we will... We will impart wisdom knowledge in an edutainment fashion but i guarantee we will get silly even when we shouldn't even when we should know better yeah (laughs) i mean silly edutainment is really the key word there uh we that is what we aim for and and i believe we hit that mark uh frequently Mm -hmm. um although not as frequently as we think oddly (laughs) enough but but, uh every sentence isn't solid gold I don't know about that, Duncan. That's not what I said. Stop putting <laughs> words in my mouth. Um, this is every every episode is completely worth listening to and are all equally good, mm-hmm. uh, except for the ones that uh, you know are just kind of filler episodes on the way to Brimley. Um, <laughs> well, I've, listen. What I found out is when <laughs> filler episodes <laughs> on the way to Brimley should be the name of that man's autobiography <laughs> <laughs> or the name of this show quite frankly on the way to brimley uh, all roads lead to brimley on the um, way to brimley sounds like the beat novel that brimley wrote sounds uh, like i kind of lost carpenter's b-side yeah yeah <laughs> i would listen to the shit out of that song uh, but yeah like I, oh, I, I wrote it for harpsichord god damn it you try to play it on a piano i'll put you right in the goddamn face God no, God damn it! Uh, but what, what I think, what I think, Bo, yes. before we, we jump into the conversation, which is inevitably going to be what we liked and what we didn't like, I, I think what we we see is that I have recently found out that there are other podcasters that listen to this show, right? Mm-hmm. And they listen to recordings that, even out with this show, listen to recordings that both myself and yourself appear, right? Right. And what I've realized is that the, we complain on recordings that we have done together, regardless what show they fall on, that we are not being invited on those shows. Those podcasters will reach out to us and then book us on those shows. Right. We, yeah. I mean, we... Because <laughs> that happened. <laughs> y- yes. We are we are overlooked continuously mm-hmm. by the podcasting community at large. Is it is it because whenever we're invited on together, we hijack their show? Is that is that what it is? Because that's what I think it is. Look, Duncan, when people ask us to be on their show, which they don't... <laughs> But if they did, the reason they would do that is because they want this kind of dynamic, this kind of witty repartee, Mm -hmm. a little of this magic, a little of the Duncan and Bo juice brought to Mm -hmm. their own show. And I I would say that not being ourselves, not, as you put it, taking over their show... That if we don't do that, we are doing them a disservice, as well as their listeners. And I mean, I, I just thought when someone booked us, mutiny was implied. <laughs> Look, I, I liken this to the moment in Animal House, where they explained to Flounder, Look, you fucked up. You trusted us. <laughs> and that is sort of how I see this show. And 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 you and I as uh you know the conjoined podcasting twins mm-hmm. uh, as as a guest that you know we, we we are the extremely charismatic thing with two heads. Yes, yes, like that. So, but yeah, we are making arrangements though to go back on a show 
and talking about two things that when I heard what the suggestion was made me infinitely happy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, we'll see no more until it's locked in, but if it does happen, trust me, it's going to be the tits. So yeah. Duncan and Bowheads, as they're called are really going to want to tune in for that. <laughs> Duncan and Bowheads. I'm, hey, look, I am open to other, uh, <laughs> other suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Duncan oh, and Boasters? I don't know what, what they want to be called. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say cum heads, but that's that's not good. Duncan Alos. Duncan Alos. The gathering of the Duncan Alos. Oh, that's a, that's a horror right there that no one needs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bunch of people wearing face makeup and saying, It's shite! <laughs> Hey, uh, before we jump into what we've been watching, um, I've got a question. Uh, the, the, you said on on our last conversation, you were going to watch the John Hurt version of, uh, whistle and I come faster or whatever that's called. That completely different, people. <laughs> You'll come yeah. if I whistle. What is it? It's like a bad Pavlov's dog experiment. You know what I mean? <laughs> whistle and I'll come to you. That's the name of it. Yeah, that's the name of the movie. <laughs> uh, yes, I did check it out. I haven't had a chance to feed back to you. I think it's really good. Uh, I think it's worth your time. Um, it's about the same length as the original. And as a result, you could probably do them back to back and you wouldn't really lose anything out on it. Um, John Hart definitely adds a degree of gravitas that the original doesn't really have, um, but it is shot full colour. And I think that takes away a little something from it. There's something very un- unnerving and uneasy about how almost TV esque the original. It's the same reason I love like things like Queer Mass and stuff. Like, there's an unsettling nature that comes out in that kind of very early 60s, kind of late 50s, even through the kind of early 70s British TV, where I think someone genuinely thought they were doing it like this, oh, let's make a jolly good show. Um, And what they made was this really offbeat, like highly unnerving fucking nightmare feel. Um, I I would suggest you check them both out. I think when it comes to awarding critical points, uh, the John Hurt ad, uh, version, the adaptation he's in, is is, is infinitely better in terms of acting, um, pacing and stuff. But in terms of leaving you on nerve, the original, I think, is the the creepier of the two. Um, and the, the, the big kind of reveal in the, in the movie and the original one has more impact, even though I think John Hurt acts better in it. There's something in that original that just, like... It's the way the guy interacts. It's not the best acting, but it's more believable, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, sorry, I had muted myself there. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I actually thought that you'd gone. I was like, that did bull whistle? <laughs> if I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> I just asked, was it better? <laughs> Is it yes or no? I said, Duncan. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I didn't want your college thesis. <laughs> that's the, yeah, a I, simple I checked, question yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are no simple answers but um yeah so i, I would say check them both I, i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on both of them anyway i think the remake is the one that'll probably hit better with you uh 
but I've like I've got a weird affinity for stuff from the UK from that era that just sticks me. Things like uh, Night of the Demon and st- stuff are just incredible like pieces of cinema that I know people have watched since and been like, eh. you know what I mean? It's a bit goofy, you know, it doesn't really land in. To me, it's, it's terrifying. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still working away through some other stuff. I um, watched uh, a little movie, which I'm giving away pretty much my whole fucking list. Um, also on that list for that particular show or series of shows that I'm doing, um, I'm working my way through, you know, loads of different bits and bobs, but... And uh, then one that is probably of note and worth checking out is Requiem for a Village. Hmm. I, I don't... Sounds familiar, but I, I'm probably making that up. So it's, it's another kind of folky horror movie, but it's done in a slightly different way in that it's the it's kind of the fear of a, of a small town village being kind of overtaken by... And, you know, these developments are going to be happening in and around it. Building developments are going to basically make these small kind of rural communities larger with all these outsiders. It reminded me a lot of, and I, I dare say the guys from the League of Gentlemen will have checked this out, uh, and that will have inspired a lot of it because, like, folk horror runs right through that TV show anyway. Um, but it, it was really quite interesting. There's one or two scenes in that as well where I'm watching it going, like, like no one gave a fuck in the seventies in the UK. They were just out to me because a lot of people like even without going all you know kind of thesis level horror again. Um, the general consensus is that horror was middling. Um, you know until things like Last House on the Left or um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre really put danger. Back and then it was this race to see who could do the most upsetting like cinema in the in the, the kind of late seventies. And then I see these these little bits that come out every now and again. You catch a little clip of something of these movies that aren't that way inclined at all. They're not trying to be gory or viscerally dark. Um, they're just doing the kind of hammer horror formula, but they're just kind of making it slightly off to the side and there's just something about them that just really hits with me every single time and it's one that's worth checking out as well you will be able to find it on the youtubes it's up there um but it's, it's, it's a fascinating little one um which i had seen once before many years ago on tv and coming back to watch i was like yeah there's like no wonder like Everything was just a bit weird in the seventies. <laughs> it was all the drugs. It was the the drugs and the disco. But it must be that there there must have been a sea of filmmakers who were just out their tits because it's the only <laughs> way I can describe half of what I was like. If you watch something like the Stone Tapes, quite a mass experiment, through to things like uh, on British TV in the seventies, you had things like Tales of uh, Tales from the Unexpected, which was all based on Roald Dahl short stories, which are all fucking trippy and terrible. Fine, um, yeah, like just the UK was a weird place in the seventies, like really, really weird. And you like, like checking out all this shit. And that's before you hit things like Wicker Man or Deathline. Um, that's just yeah, a lot of weird shit. Shit, what is the one uh, with the furry bones? Um, <laughs> oh shit! Excuse me. <laughs> it was. It, it's one of the unholy trinity. It's it's Witchfinder General. Um, uh, blood and Satan's Claw. Blood on Satan's Claw. Yes. Yeah, where everybody starts growing the fur that's going to come together oh, to yeah. make a new demon. That movie's yeah. fucking bananas. It's absolutely out of its face, like like from from start to finish. And it's yeah, I, I just I find it all like 
really weird and really unnerving and infinitely fascinating. So um, I'm going to put that in as one of the things I'm going to put that in as one of the things I watched that I thought was like good. Um, I don't actually have a bad for this episode. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll just pivot into one that hopefully you've seen. Um, so we could kind of talk about it. Have you seen that chapter two? I haven't. <gasps> right. Then I will keep this succinct and then we can maybe yeah. delve into a bigger It'll, conversation in the ne- next episode. Next episode. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll explain myself in a moment. But yeah, give me give me a non-spoilery uh, overview. Um, so I think it's Hearts in the Right Place. I think it's casting that is really strong. Um, I think the dynamics they do jumping between the kids and the adults works really well and they they use a couple of techniques which I think are really really well done I think it's needlessly overlong which I felt was going to be the case before I went in I think you could trim out maybe 20 minutes maybe even half an hour um I mean I didn't I when I watched it I, I I I didn't feel at the end of it that it had wasted my time. I just felt like it was baggy in sections. It didn't have the same kind of pacing that the the first chapter had because that first one moves at a whip from start to finish. I think Pennywise is great in it. I think there's a couple of scenes of kind of those kind of dream horror things that is done really, 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 really well. And... Yeah, I, th- I think it's I I as it stands just now, I prefer chapter one over chapter two, but I think compared to the second part of the TV movie, this is night and day in comparisons. Much much better, and it's benefited by the fact that it's some really great actors, you know, on the screen, like really 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 good actors doing some like, adding a bit of gravitas and a bit of you know a bit of clout behind the movie and it, it has it has a lot of heart which I, I wasn't really expecting because even the the way the director had described it in the run-up was he was really going to go and try and push this one as horrific as possible i don't necessarily think that's something he's achieved but what he has done is i think he's captured the kind of heart that stephen king puts into a lot of his work better than a lot of what i've seen in a while in the king ad- adaptation camp i think it really kind of nailed that um, so yeah, I, I think I gave it a four out of five. I think on subsequent watches that might drop them to a three point five. Um, but it was—I mean, it was entertaining. It'll make us, you know, a bazillion pounds um, at the cinema, and it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I, I know a lot of people were doing the double bill thing, and I was going. Well, we spoke about this off air. I was scheduled to do that, and then that kind of fell through. Um, I didn't watch chapter one before going to chapter two, and actually, I think that's maybe the best way to go into chapter two. I think if you watch chapter one and go right to chapter two, I think you maybe carry over more complaints into that second half. Um, I'd be really interested to, to hear what you made of it because me and you were about the same on that that first chapter and I, I stand by I don't I will be surprised if it chapter two makes my top 20 of the year but it's certainly one that I I'm interested in talking about because I, I just think that the, there are so many ways they could have completely shat the bed and the fact that they didn't um is, is kind of testament to the fact that the guy really enjoys the story and he has like a lot of involvement with like Stephen King's, you know, heavily involved with the, the adaptation and stuff. So I think that's kind of benefited it. The only other thing I will say is during the screening of it, there was the first 
full feature trailer for Doctor Sleep and that looks fucking amazing. <laughs> like it was introduced by Stephen King and Mike Flanagan, which was like you've already won me over. Like you could literally just show like a blank screen for the next two minutes and I'm already gonna think it's amazing. And then they showed like that that movie's just gonna be fucking incredible and November can't come around quick enough. So. All right. Um, I, I, you know, I, here's the thing. I wanted to go see uh, it chapter two uh, on a date and mm-hmm. uh, we decided, hey, let's watch the first one again before we see the second one. And just my sk- schedule being what it's been lately, we weren't able to do that until Sunday night. So mm-hmm. we're, wa- we're going to see uh, chapter two either tomorrow or Thursday. One of the two. I so, look forward to hearing your views on it. Yeah, but I, I will say um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. That's, I think, the third time I'd seen it. Because I mm-hmm. saw it twice in the theater. I saw it once by myself and then uh, saw it with, with some friends. And then I haven't seen it since. And watched it again um, the other night. And probably enjoyed it more that viewing than I ever had. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie that I think is just fun. You know, I mean, it's a fun, it's tragic in parts, but it's a fun horror movie. Yeah, um, it does what big budget horror should do first and foremost, above all else, it should entertain. And it chapter one does that. I think it chapter two does it as well. Um, I just feel it's a bit bloated in parts. So um, yeah, I still, I like, it's, it was still. I'm fine. I'm going to see it again tomorrow. Good. Me and my wife are going to see it tomorrow. Um, so. I'm interested to see if, you know, an almost three-hour viewing, two days removed from an almost three-hour viewing, will make me more critical of it. Or if actually, now that I know what the pacing of the movie is, I may enjoy it more. I, I, I genuinely don't know. But I do, I'm, I'm really interested to see what your your views on it. Because, like I say, when we spoke about Chapter 1, which was on Duncan and Bo, I'm correct, I can't even remember what TV show we are talking about at the time, but maybe Twin Peaks. Um, when we spoke about it then, we were weirdly on point with pretty much everything, even down to like specific scenes where like you were like, I watched this scene, I was like, is it this scene? You were like, yeah, and I was like, how fucking good? And you were like, it was brilliant. So um, I'll be interested to see if we marry up again on that or if, you know, I'm overly critical and you're not or vice versa, which is entirely possible. Yeah, yeah, I'm... I- you know we're usually pretty close um but yeah and the stuff that bothered me in the original it i don't think bothered me as much this time around mm-hmm. um there there's that scene where they kind of lay out the exposition and all those kids take a turn just not being great actors for a scene yeah. <laughs> and you're just like oh god i just want this to be over with but you're right it moves at a, a good clip and it, it's I forgot how quick you're out of that scene. It's still not good, yeah. but it, it it gets you out of there pretty fast. And you're not lingering over it, yeah, so, which is the main thing. And <laughs> that movie remains a little bit mean spirited in a way that I really appreciate. Oh yeah, we we spoke about like the, there's um and there's a there's a scene in chapter two that we can speak about as well, which there scene with a kid, and I'll go no further in it at all which I felt was incredibly mean-spirited. Um, like, the whole device is nightmare fuel. Like, absolute nightmare fuel. So, yeah. I, I, like I say, I'm interested to check it out um, again, but I'm interested to hear what you thought. Uh, but even more interesting, 
is my thoughts on what you may have seen in the last week or so, which was good and bad. So hit me with it, Bo. What's your good and what's your bad? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, my good would be the um, the Planet of the Apes. I watched the original Planet of the Apes for, nice. the, for the first time in, God, I don't know how long, Duncan, probably 25 years. Wahlberg is so good in that movie. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I so going back, here's the thing you'll forget about Planet of the Apes, the the original uh, Charlton Heston and Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter uh, film is Charlton Heston is a complete misanthrope <laughs> in that movie. Like when they Just in generally is, but <laughs> in general, yeah. But but when he crash lands on that planet. And the other thing you'll forget is there's a, a solid like 20 minutes of this, them just wandering around after they crash, being like, where the fuck are we? It looks like a big <laughs> desert. Let's just wander through the desert for a while and chit-chat about the nature of humanity, which is what happens. And mm-hmm. But Charlton Heston the entire time when they're like, the other astronauts will be like, we got to find some uh, some food and some water and see if we if we can repair the ship. And he's just like, <laughs> you don't get it, do you? You dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> While we were sleeping, everyone you ever knew has died and turned to dust. It's 2,000 years after we left. Everything you ever loved is gone. Just get used to it. And like you're just like... Listen. Right, and you're just like, the fuck, man? Like, how about you lighten up, Taylor? We're all in this together. And it just anytime somebody's like, well, maybe we'll find civilization, it just, from the cheap seats, Hesse will just be like, ha! Not <laughs> a chance. Whatever civilization we find is sure to be all about painful sodomy. Yeah. <laughs> It is one of the first uh, committee to film roles which generally could be described as a get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a real uh, a, a real curmudgeon in that movie. And uh yeah, but it's great. Like Roddy McDowell's great and it, the the makeup is there are definitely moments when you're watching that movie with modern eyes where you're like, "Eh, sometimes that makeup holds up, sometimes it doesn't." But given the time that nothing like that had ever been done before. It's oh, yeah. stunning. Um, it's, it's like it really, it, it, surprising how well some of that makeup holds up yeah. overall compared to movies which are maybe even 10 years older. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It, it's really impressive. Um, but yeah, so I watched that again and, and that was a delight. And as I said, uh, this is in, all in service of my uh, weekly movie screening at the house. Uh, this September being September of the Apes. So we're watching the sequel to Planet of the Apes tonight as we record this, which is, uh, of course, beneath the Planet of the Apes, which features mm-hmm. a cult that worships an unexploded atom bomb and uh, ends with... So good. So good. <laughs> and ends with the destruction of the entire fucking planet. And they had the sheer balls to make three more after that. After blowing up the Earth... Mm-hmm. They make three more movies. That's why not. That's ballsy. But you uh, make your own. You make your own fate, Bo. You make your own fate in cinema. That's what I say. Yeah. So I'm, but I'm, I'm excited to watch, uh, to watch that tonight. 
because uh, I haven't again another movie I haven't watched in probably twenty five years and uh, don't remember. Oh, Beneath all that the Planet well. of the Apes I saw was it last year and it's maybe up there is one of my faves like overall. It's just fucking bonkers, right? It's great. it's just so fucking weird. Like Charlton Heston's in it for about three and a half minutes, and that's all you need. To- <laughs> right. I think we'll go in this ice. See you later, movie. Yeah, like, uh, Charlton, we're thinking about um, maybe cutting your scene out. If you would just like to give us that script. No, from my cold, dead hands. No, right, that's all right then. My understanding (laughs) was more like, hey, we wrote this sequel and you're all over it. And he was just Mm. like, hmm, how about instead you lick my Heston balls? (laughs) You got me for three hours. And then just threw the script back in their face, and they were like, mm-hmm. "All right, I guess we've got them for three hours." But yeah. I, I think the um, the deal he made, in fact, was like, "At the end of this movie, the world blows up. I don't want to <laughs> do another one of these goddamn ape movies." Which is that you would think would be a clause in a contract, which would be undisputed, uh, and like you say, the fact that they make movies after it's just like, yeah, yeah. Well, you're gone, but. Here we go. Right. And I, I think it, it's the third one where it's like, oh, we're going back in time. Yep. And yeah, like, jeez, a movie makes money. They'll figure out a way to make it. Oh, yeah. Way. Life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum says. Yeah. Life uh, uh, finds a way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I'll, I'll, here's the bad. And it's not even really that bad. Um, I started watching that Carnival Row television series. <laughs> Yeah, my interest has been piqued about this because Amazon has spent like a bazillion pounds telling me I should watch it. Yeah, I'll tell you, I watched an episode and a half Uh and I was like, I think I get it. (laughs) I think I get it. I don't need to watch it anymore. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think I'm good. (laughs) I think I see what's happening here. Orlando Bloom sees dead people. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) It's... (laughs) <laughs> it, it was very much a show that like the first episode i was like oh so this is an extended allegory about america's immigration problem yeah okay and then i got through about half of the second episode and i was like oh this is still an extended allegory of america's <laughs> immigration issue and it's uh, I'm I, I'm not gonna say it's ham fisted, Duncan, but uh, a pack of dogs follows that show wherever it goes, <laughs> lured by the sweet sweet smell of ham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, so a guy that I work with was like, you should you should watch more of it because it goes places and there's some interesting stuff. But it it really was one of those things where it was like, oh man, like if you think any of this is clever, this is just the the most like film student bullshit that you ever saw. Of like it, it it's just such a one to one sort of analog between like, oh, there's this part of town where all the magical creatures live and all the white mm-hmm. folks don't want to go there because it lowers property value and shit. Like that's a <laughs> genuinely a thing that is talked about of like, we don't want one of these fairies moving in next door. Cause it'll bring down the par- property value, <laughs> which would be great if it were played for laughs and it's not. Is it, Cause it's be- is it based on a series of books? No, it? no, it is just, Somebody sat down and wrote it, Duncan. Really? That's my oh, no, understanding. That's not, good. that's not good, then. Someone someone needs to stop that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there are plenty of, uh, I was going to say there are plenty of fantasy shows that weren't based on other material, and that's probably not true. Um, but you well, can... The, to me, the one that always comes into my head where you talk about, uh, on some level, um, the idea of a kind of xenophobia or racism done in a, a kind of clever way, which went very much off the rails by the end, but True Blood... Yeah, but that, was, I mean, it's based it's based on a series of novels, right. but my understanding is it, it kind of diverts quite a bit from the work. You know what I mean? It, it took the underlying kind of relationship stuff and then went off and did its own thing over the top of that. But that was a show that was very happy to play into the fact of extreme prejudice, whether that was against you know vampires, quote unquote, but you know, like homophobia, you know. Um, racism just like across the board and i thought that that show was done that maybe two seasons removed from the end did it really fucking well like really mm-hmm. really 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 well um so it can be done <laughs> it, can, it can be done i think if what you like what you're saying is that you know it's kind of someone's college thesis as to why you know the why racism is bad or immigration is good and or, or whatnot. Um, how did they end up on Amazon and how the fuck did they get the, the cast that they did? I mean, there's a couple of A-listers there, even though I don't necessarily think they're all great actors or A-list actors that are in there. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, and probably the A-listiest of those is Jared Harris. Yes. And I always. mean... Always. I would say he's more, he is, is the bigger name, maybe thanks to Chernobyl now, than Orlando Bloom even. But there there well, wasn't yeah, enough, Jared. I, with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I, I don't know the last time I saw Orlando Bloom. Right. I, I recently watched that, that last one that came out, and oh my God, <laughs> it's such a then, bad movie. And oh. I've got kind of a knee-jerk dislike of uh, what's, whatever her name is, like Cara Delevingne or whatever. The mm-hmm. uh, the lady what was in Suicide Squad and is now in this, and that's the only thing I've ever seen her in. Um, mm-hmm. Because I recently learned through happenstance, Duncan, that she like she and her sister or her best friend, who's a model, have some crazy LA house. They're like oh, both of them. Between the two of them, they're not my age. You know, like if you added them up, and they're just like. Yeah, we just go out every night and like we're spending about $15,000 a day and you're just like both of you just need to go work in a mine or something for a while. Like I you, you like you hate to I know where one is. I know where one is if the one is about 20 meters from my house. Perfect. Um, super. Is, was this like you? You heard you said you heard through happenstance. Is this like a website or something? Yeah, it was you one of those. It was one of those things where I was on a news site and it was just like, see the extravagant lifestyle of Cara Delevingne Mama and her her roommate, and it was like, what kind of like are they hunting baboons or like what is happening? And so I clicked on it, and the next thing you know, it's just. This list of shit that makes me angry of <laughs> these like self-important young rich that are just like a hard not life. Though. I'm it's a hard not life. 
you know, people come to our house all the time and they're like, why are all these colors so bright? And it's like, just open your eyes and feel the sunshine for once. Why don't you? And you're just like, oh, it's just all of you go to hell. The, the person who complained about the paint, you for having your house painted like that. I hate you all of this. You have become and Heston and Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Give them enough time, bro. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty model uh but <laughs> so it, that kind of shit bothers me and so when i see her in this show all i can think is what a privileged fucking life she's leading on the back of doing this kind of shitty show about fairies that's a little too <laughs> a little too serious for its own good <laughs> and i'm not bad mouthing like amazon shows because the boys is one of the best things i've seen all year it, it's the boys is fucking incredible and and can't uh the, this uh carnival row thing just makes me angry when i watch it as i as i talk to you about it now i'm getting more angry I watched an, I, I watched 90 minutes of this show and i feel like i've been punched right in the dick <laughs> So, like, you know how fucking stupid legend is that movie? Uh, 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 Like, I'm not talking about the Tim Curry scenes. Obviously, those are incredible. Mm -hmm. But everything Mm -hmm. else about legend is real shitty. Yeah. It's like, take Tim Curry out of legend, and then that's the show. And you're just like, ugh. Well, Uh, this feels like it's missing the thing that would make it okay to watch. (laughs) this looks like he's missing the thing that has my interest right the only thing good about the movie legend is when tim curry shows up and you know talks about darkness and you're like this is fucking rad and then you cut to tom cruise and his unicorn pal and you're like oh this is unwatchable bullshit um (laughs) (laughs) how that that is the most whiplash inducing movie there is because every time Tim Curry is on screen, it is one of the most rock and most metal movies ever made. And as soon as he leaves the screen, it's like, what in the fuck is this shit? I can't watch these terrible goblin people croaking at each other is hideous. And these little dwarf people, I don't like that either. They're a bunch of hairless Ewoks. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uncovered some real prejudices today here, Duncan. Oh, it's been a while since about a really good bull run. Oh, it makes me so happy. Oh man. Yeah, the the uh both Carnival Row and the movie Legend can suck my ass. Uh <laughs> with with the exception of the Tim Curry scenes from Legend, which can do whatever they like with my ass. Oh, oh dear. Oh, oh. oh, I need a drink. Oh. So Mindhunter <laughs> is the show we are here to discuss. And Mindhunter, uh, we, like I said, we are on episode five now. Um, when last we left our heroes, Duncan, mm-hmm. um, there was a nervous detective telling Bill that uh, his creepy child was involved in a murder. Yep. And and also, uh, Holden had been kicked the fuck out of Atlanta uh, just for being Holden. Well, yeah, but he, he 
Yeah. He, <laughs> he kind of brought it on himself, Bo. Yeah, well, well... We all saw what was happening, and he didn't. Right, right. Well, as Holden often does. Like, Holden is a guy that will be his own worst enemy most of the time. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it, I mean, he's... He's a very intelligent man, but that doesn't equate to street smarts or knowing how to play the game. Playing the game, Duncan. That's what it's about. Uh, speaking <laughs> of playing the game, episode five of Mindhunter begins with Dennis Rader, a.k.a. the BTK killer, digging a mm-hmm. fucking hole in his backyard. And anytime you see anyone digging a hole in their backyard, something is, is, has either died or is about to die. Yeah, like... Before we like, lean too heavily into this, have you ever seen the real life photos from this? Uh, of the box with the mask and stuff? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I thought that was oh, a yeah. fiction. No, no, no. They are real. They are online. You will find them. They are his Polaroids that he took of himself wearing the doll mask tied up in a box dug into the ground. They are nightmare inducing. <laughs> Which is some of the most unsettling shit ever fucking committed to camera. Um, yeah, he did that. So when they opened with this clip, I was like, oh, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah, he's just like, God, stupid wife makes me bury my doll mask. Um, <laughs> so uh, we we leave that happy family to mm-hmm. go to another happy family where Bill and Nancy are just sitting around the kitchen table uh, trying to figure out what the hell is going on with their, their creepy kid. And Bill uh, Bill is just like, hey, you know, this kid might be rotten. Maybe we got a bad one. <laughs> this kid might be fucked. Yeah, and Nancy's like, no, no, no. Brian, uh, Brian was trying to tell them, uh, you know, like, uh, like to put him on the cross so that it would bring the kid uh, back. And he didn't actually do anything. And Bill's like, I don't know, Nancy. This sounds like <laughs> a whole lot of uh, coulda, shoulda, woulda going on with Brian here. And Nancy... Yeah, like, we can for- we can forgive like Brian if he, I don't know, befriends an aging scientist who creates a DeLorean time machine car to go back in time to save the child. But tying him to a cross in a ritualistic manner, maybe not. Well, and, and Nancy is like the other kids were the ones who were doing it. He he just was you know, like they're bullies and, and he was just too scared to do anything. And the phone rings and, and Bill's like, we're going to talk about this in a minute, Nancy. And gets the phone and he's like, look, I got a family thing happening here. Uh, I can't really talk. And then you hear him go silent for a second and he's like, all right, I'll get my things. And... <laughs> <laughs> Bill's really great at not protesting things at all. Right. Yeah. No, somebody gives him some shit and Bill is immediately like, that's probably true. Um <laughs> But but he he's like, Hey, I need to I need to go in. That's gun, Ted. Uh, is calling him in, and Nancy is not pleased about this at all. But well, no, because their kids weird and creepy, and fucking, there's a small child dead, and right, and you don't want to be left wrong. alone with this creepy what? Brian kid in the house. Yeah, Brian has morphed since the last time we saw him. Now, whenever he walks into a room, he gets Damien Gregorian chant in the background. He said Dominoes, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a creepy fucking kid. There's a scene coming up later on 
which I mean, we were sort of like, oh, someone needs to put that kid down. Yes, yes, <laughs> we'll get to it. But yeah, so Bill is just like, well, uh, you know, I hate to be the one to break up this party, Nancy, but I got to go to the office. <laughs> And he meets Gunn there, and Gunn is like, the fuck, Bill? And he's like, oh boy, here it comes. And he's like, why didn't I know about this Atlanta situation? And he's like, the Atlanta situation? Oh, the Atlanta situation. Oh, yeah, uh, that. Uh, Yeah, totally my fault. My bad, uh, Ted. I mean, uh, Chief Gunn or whatever. And he's like, Bill, don't let this happen again. I don't want to get blindsided by this bullshit. You're supposed to be taking care of Holden. And Holden can't speak without pissing somebody off, which is why I need you there. And he's like, mm-hmm. totally, totally not a problem. Not going to happen again. Sorry about that. And uh, Gunn is, gives him one of those. This can't happen again, Bill. And he's like, you got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, much of this season, as it happens, is just like, at what point is Bill going to snap? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> he is dealing with some shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you can still like it's gonna go off, yeah, and everyone's gonna feel it, right? It's gonna be like Nicolas Cage from The Wicker Man, just like pounding his badge on the counter. He's just like, all yeah, right, all right, woman, <laughs> right, running up to somebody and just haymaker to the jaw, yeah, asking asking people how it got burned when nothing's burned at all. How'd the dog get burned? Um, I get burned. I get burned. I get burned. God, that movie is so good and and terrible. Like it's awful, but it's also wonderful. Uh, so Bill then goes to talk to Holden, and he's like, "Hey, what the fuck, man? Gun was just crawling all up my ass about what happened in Atlanta. Why didn't you call me?" And Holden's like, "Hey, man, that happened fast. Jim said it was going to be okay. Like I was trying to be cool, man. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm being good, Holden now." And mm-hmm. and then Bill basically yells at him and is like, from now on, you shut your mouth until we've done some honest-to-goodness groundwork. And then he marches out of the office and Wendy kind of follows him out into the hallway and where he is immediately just smoking and thinking about how he can fake his own death. And, <laughs> and Wendy is like, hey, are you okay? Because you look terrible. And he says, look, Wendy, I know I'm responsible for Holden. Uh, It was my fault. I'm going to get better at this, but I need to take the rest of the day. And she's (laughs) like, "Uh, that's cool, man. You do what you got to do. And uh, don't worry about it because, like, hey, we're keeping up with the backlog of interviews. Me and Greg did the last one. And there's a great moment where he's just like, did you just say Greg did it? Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, "Um, you know, well, he was a little hesitant. And he goes, he shit the rug, didn't he, Wendy? (laughs) And she's like, well, the transcript will be ready and, and like, tomorrow. And he's like, I'm looking forward to it. I love a good laugh. Yeah, like, no one's happier than, you know, like, the the realization that fucking Greg shat the bed than than Bill. We were over the moon when it happened. We we couldn't have been any happier, Bo, but... Like, there's one man that's going to drive a bit more satisfaction. That's Bill. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, Greg was pretty fucking awful. It was, it was absolutely terrible. And uh, it was a joy to behold on the screen. 
Yeah, and I like the fact that Bill immediately knows, like, he fucked up, didn't he? He was awful. He's a real piece of shit, wasn't he? Because that's what Greg does, Wendy. He just sits around being a piece of shit. <laughs> Fucking piece of shit. Well, well I, I, I want to take a bit of time here and acknowledge that on the, the flick chat for uh, Duncan and Bo, come correct, I have been overjoyed with the amount of support we've had in our fuck great campaign it's been yes. it's been kind of amazing yes that 100 uh, percent correct look for legion podcasts all one word all lowercase and plural uh over on uh flick chat and uh you can find us talking about uh the, greg. The, about greg really <laughs> greg, greg is terrible fucking greg <laughs> fucking greg and so we leave this discussion like greg's not even in the room and he's just a piece of shit and <laughs> then we go to wendy and k uh wendy's bartender would-be girlfriend mm -hmm. and they're driving to a movie and wendy is just me in this scene and me like i was i was getting stressed at watching this scene bro. well they're so they're pulling up and wendy is like we're gonna be late we're going to be late and we're going to miss something. And uh, Kay is like, no, we might miss the trailers. It's going to be fine. She's like, nope. By the time we go to the concession stand, we are going to miss something. And then Kay does a real jerk move where she's like, all right, let's just park the car. It turns out I'm one of the slowest parallel parkers. So this yep. is definitely going to take some time and we are definitely going to miss something. And, yep. and that just makes me want to peel my face off and then fucking eat it. <laughs> yeah it's kind of a jerk move and then she's like or we could just go back to my place where i've got some probably spoiled chablis and we can get down to some fucking whole lot of scissoring yeah a little eh, eh, hubba hubba and pop and, uh, i don't know what the pop's for but i liked it um <laughs> and but and wendy's like absolutely let's go fuck yeah <laughs> which they do and wendy uh has a good come she does yeah yeah like you get an outside the building you know hearing her uh conjugate the verb and mm -hmm. w <laughs> then we cut inside where Kay is like yeah you like that right i'm gonna go i don't know the bathroom or something uh whatever <laughs> Whatever lesbians do after a uh, good lesbian sex. And, <laughs> and Wendy, I just don't know. I'm not like, it's not, net, not a net, judgment. Net. I just, it's not my she's thing. Surely, surely it's net and don't net each other's scarves. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. Buy a Subaru, whatever it is they do. <laughs> Buy a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they have sex, well, that's a lot of Subarus. I'm just saying, I don't. I'm saying I don't know, Duncan. I don't know how it works. Um, but Wendy is looking around the room and she sees like, oh, there's still a, a you know, a moving box pack that hasn't been unboxed yet. And the plant hanging up is dead. And uh, there are all these signs of like, well, she's a little scattered maybe. And but she gives Kay a lot of credit for leading this authentic life and and you know uh that she actually says like you know i admire what you've done and and you're very brave and all the shit you say to somebody at the beginning of a relationship and yeah to get more subaru sex right <laughs> subaru sex and really? and so wendy is asking Kay about her kid and she's like oh yeah i'm gonna see him this weekend we're gonna go to this 
you know, double A baseball game, which sounds like fucking hell on earth to me. <laughs> oh, it's baseball and it matters even less than major league baseball. <laughs> Ugh, why are you even bothering? But <laughs> Wendy is like, I like baseball. And Kay is like, the fuck, Wendy? Like, you can't hang out with me and my kid. I like it. it when when the time is right, I will introduce you. But how about you get off my tip? And yeah, this, we've just started this relationship and you want just got out this long term relationship. I wasn't happy in to try something else and be authentic and true myself and you just want muscling on that well that's fucking great isn't it thanks very much well but then uh wendy is like um can we go back to where we were just having wine and chit-chatting and i didn't invite myself to your child's baseball game uh but also not so far that we skip over the best sex of my life Mm -hmm. And, and Kay is like that was the best sex of your life and she was like Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Shall we say side camera pans over and there's a Subaru outside the park? <laughs> right. Somebody's <laughs> pulling a new one up. Uh, oh, I guess we are having sex tonight. I saw the delivery. Honk, honk. It does that sound because she goes down on her for that orgasm. That's exactly how it goes. Below the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> <laughs> Round about that time, the new boys found themselves in a whole mess of vagina. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call a slippery situation. We'll be right back. So there's a hard cut. To Bill, who's just like, nice job on the lesbian story, Wendy. That is some <laughs> some good make ups And he actually refers to it as the Dyke story. It's like, Bill, calm down, man. Yeah, because, yeah, this is the thing. Like, uh, what I'm loving about this is the fact that the, the characters who have been overtly preachy and judgy towards Holden revealing things which could be taken as unprofessional would one say Bo? oh most um, certainly yeah i have bled very much into this season where we quickly established that like holden can roll with the punches on these things and just make up stuff on the fly to get answers out of people but it now appears that you know wendy is more than happy to play into you know things that are real stories from her which would be seen as highly unethical and highly unprofessional to get what she wanted out of the situation, as we'll find out very soon. Bill is going to let certain things cloud his judgment as well. That it's kind of funny how the two people that have been charged with making sure that Ford runs on the straight and narrow are equally compromised um, in a way which makes them, for all intents and purposes, a bit tainted when it comes to that. And, you know, is that dynamic? Is that sort of, that, that, you know, that sort of kind of pivot this season that that's really got me hooked on the storytelling? I think it's like a really good twist on top of things. No one is holier than thou in this season. I think that that's what, we're all humans. We're all flawed. And what they're doing, they're, they're trying to 
kind of makeup as they go along to give it some sort of credence. And meanwhile, they've got like Ted's just wanting to give them everything. And it's not really proved yet. You know, it's not it's not te- like really tested to a level where it can be, but Ted thinks it has, and that's all that matters. Right. I mean the whole Ted's whole motivation is I want the the behavioral science unit to be the first call on these kinds of matters. Mm-hmm. And and that's going to help him politically and and you know, certainly in theory is going to help solve crimes and whatnot but like gun is very much a political animal mm-hmm. as we will see throughout these episodes in particular and yeah so everybody everybody's looking out for themselves to some degree and everyone has an ulterior motive and or that the big secret that they're keeping from everyone else and mm-hmm. and it's it is interesting. Like Holden is the most upfront dude in this whole series in season two, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so um, Bill, uh, after complimenting her, uh, Wendy says, "Well, apparently he can compartmentalize." And it's very clear, you know, she's talking about herself and not Henley, who is uh, the Dean Quarrel guy that they talked about uh, or talked to last uh, last episode. And Bill, speaking of not being able to compartmentalize, Bill gets all beside himself about like, well, he's just a kid, you know, Henley's just a kid and he's not entirely responsible for his actions. And they're like, no, 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 he was there. Like he, he captured like two dozen kids. He had to know what was going on. And, Mm -hmm. and Bill's like, well, it's not like he liked it. And Holden's like, well, right here on page four, it says, I really enjoyed whatever I was doing. So the fuck are you talking about, Bill? And- <laughs> Bill's like, it's, it's not as if he walked to time to a cross so he could come back to life. Yeah, so I like, mean, <laughs> this, right, this is all so very clearly about Brian. And- yeah, the thing that he's not dealing with at home at right. all. And then Wendy says, hey, we need to think about our tactics because clearly just going off of this report uh, or this set of questions isn't working. And Gunn shows up and in one of the most beautiful moments in this episode is just immediately like, Greg, get the fuck out. I need to talk to these three. <laughs> well, yeah, Gunn. Yeah. Fuck off, Greg. And, and Greg gets up and fucks right off uh, to his credit. And it's so good man and like if you're watching this season with that in your head of like man fucking greg every time gun comes into a room he just does something to fuck with greg it's, it's the best thing ever it's really good and so gun invites them to this big fancy schmancy party where the assistant director is gonna be so that bill can help sell the behavioral science unit and on his way out gun is just like Oh, by the way, bitches, Manson in three weeks. And then Hello. takes off. You're right. <laughs> it is a total, like, you know he was just waiting for it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to tell him that we've got Manson when I get in the room. I'm going to let him do their thing. I'm going to talk to him about the party. And then I'm just going to say it as I'm leaving, like, it's no big deal. And it's going to be awesome, Ted. And Ain't nothing but a thing, Bo. Ain't nothing but a thing. And immediately, Holden is just like, oh! <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Manson, sir. <laughs> yeah, he is a real fanboy. Um, but so we leave that to go to Bill and Nancy being told by, uh, like, the... Uh, 
district attorney or something. Basically, hey, we are not going to prosecute Brian because Brian uh, did not participate in the actual murder of this child. Mm -hmm. But because he didn't tell anybody and he didn't go for help, then he's got to be looked at. And surprisingly, it's not by the Catholic Church. It's by the government who are like, hey, we need to make sure that your kid isn't a crazy son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a social worker uh, come by and um, then uh, they're going to basically investigate the home, monitor Brian, and they will make a decision from there. But Brian can go home with you and we are not pursuing any kind of charges. And then they get outside and outside Nancy is like, what the fuck was all that? Why didn't you say anything? Like we gotta, (laughs) we gotta go through all this bullshit. And he's like, Hey, Nance, that's the process. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is just how it works. And yeah, you need to play the game. Right. And he's like, look, Brian is coming home with us. You need to recognize that this was a win. The way he puts it is like, this was a good day, Nancy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, no, no. This should We should be going back to the way things were before. And he's like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Like, we've we got to deal with some <laughs> shit. Yeah, that ship sailed a while ago when a small child died and was strapped across. Like, Nancy's naivety, like, in, in this season, like, I think speaks, like, volumes to just the mindset of people in any kind of pre-serial killer world, do you know what I mean? Where even these people were operating, but this idea of these hugely reprehensible crimes and the effects that they have are just how people, like the kind of fallout from her, how horrific shit happens um, is dealt with. There's something so inherently innocent about her view and everything. Well, you know, he's cleared, so that's, a, you know... Like everything goes back to normal now without understanding that, like their Satan child, um, is you know he's, he's got some some real issues that need to be resolved, and she's I think she just thinks that you know if we get him home, give him some hugs and all the rest, everything will work out. And Bill, of all people, knows that's not how it works. Yeah, and he just can't he just can't get it through to her, and she doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, I mean, she. I understand her reaction though. It's a, you know we talked about it on the last episode about like her doing the tell me oh don't tell me thing uh, of like she has a hard time dealing with what Bill does and and kind of horrific real life shit to begin. Yeah, with. Yeah, she's like me at a restaurant when on the board the chalkboard it says uh, soup of the day. And I, I don't want to know it or do I not want to know it? Tell me. Tell, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Right, a lot. No, I don't know. She's, well, she's it, like, I think it, that's the situation that we can all agree on. It's actually an Italian wedding. Oh, don't tell me. <laughs> oh, minestrone. Oh, no. But um, <laughs> Bill then heads back to work where he finds Wendy, Holden, and Greg uh, all listening to the music of one Charles Manson. It's kind of rad. Yeah, and he's like, what the fuck are we... Like, he's not a celebrity. He's just... He didn't even kill anybody. And Holden runs down the Manson crimes and the members of the family. And Bill says, like, this guy's just a fraud. All we want to know is how does he get good kids to kill for him? That Mm -hmm. is the only thing of interest about Charles Manson. And he is not a fan. Whereas... 
Holden, yeah. clearly a bit of a Manson uh, enthusiast, one might yeah. say. Excuse me, Mr. Manson, sir. And so the social worker shows up uh, at Bill's place to tour the house. And she is this woman named Miss Leland who has a clipboard and just walks around the house making notes and asking questions like, and do you leave the toilet seat up? You do? Oh, okay. And just makes a little <laughs> note. And the whole time, Nancy is looking at her like, well, oh, was that good? Was that the right answer? Was, did we mm-hmm. screw up? And... The, at one point, she says, like, well, how do you punish your child? And Bill's like, well, you know, we send him to his room, shit like that. And she's like, do you ever do corporal punishment? And he's like, absolutely not. And I was like, that kind of surprises me out of Bill. Bill seems like a guy who would spank. Does he, though? Because like, I now think he works. He's been interviewing a lot of, a lot of killers who have been saying they neglect or physical abuse, regardless how you see if it is a kind of a slight slap just to keep you your shit in check uh, has an impact like whether or not the correlation is there for him uh, that doesn't actually surprise me at all um like when you look at the character you would think definitely to begin with but the more like you hear how like ed kemper talked about his mother or some of these other ones as well you start to get this feeling that maybe the discipline side is just something where he's like, that. well, I've seen the effects of what happens if you take that too far or if the kid doesn't understand it or, you know, like mentally they take that in a different way. So maybe I don't do it. Um, but then I also think, is Bill being 100% honest in his answers here? Because he has a specific phrase when she leaves the house, which makes me think, right, he knows himself that he has to play the game, whereas Nancy's very much letting this rattler he is not like bill is ridiculously chilled during this whole thing yeah yeah oh he he's one cool cucumber and then she uh asks him if he has a gun he's like i do and i keep it in my office and it's locked at all times and she's like he's got a gun sorry (laughs) he's got a gun uh god that movie is so good so brian or that moment in particular cronenberg Mm. is I just want him to say that. Is he on Cameo? Well, I I just want him to, like, I want it to be personalized so that I can get uh, him as my ring notification. (laughs) Like, see if Bill and Ford had shown up to see Manson and it had been played by David Cronenberg, game over. (laughs) Right. This would have been the greatest show of all time, bar none. (laughs) Miss Leland finally is like, may I see the boy? And they're like, uh, yes, come out to our ritual area. I mean, mm-hmm. backyard. <laughs> so open the back door and there's just a giant pentagram being burned into the grass. There, there might as well be because Brian is just swinging creepily <laughs> and silently by himself in the backyard. And they're yep. like, Brian, uh, come meet this nice lady. And he's just like, I'm sorry, mother. I didn't see you there. <laughs> Dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> you've br- you've brought unto me a stranger, I see, and <laughs> he goes to meet her, and they're like, "Hey, Brian." <laughs> and sometimes you wear le deton, but not today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what you look like to me, Miss Leland. In your cheap shoes and your dirty clipboard. <laughs> If the season finishes with with 
with Brian just following someone up a street after phoning his mum and dad telling him he's going to have an old friend for dinner. <laughs> that, you know, this is like a fucking mess or all. Right, he's calling Bill. And like, Hello, father. <laughs> Brian, where are you? I'm afraid I can't tell you that. <laughs> I won't be looking for you, father. I hope you'll accept to be the same courtesy. <laughs> the world's a more interesting place with you in it, father. <laughs> but they're like, hey, so this is Miss Leland. He's like, charmed, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Ready when you are. <laughs> Actually, what happens is he doesn't say a goddamn word. He just like scans her with his mind or something. Mm-hmm. And... um. <laughs> Then goes into the house, and Miss Leland just makes a note of, like, hmm, creepy child. Just ch- check. Um, Weird sense of a Gregorian chant in the background. Check. Uh, choir of creepy children singers yeah. wherever he goes. And, <laughs> and so they go inside, and Nancy has laid out this plate of, of sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And Miss Leland just shoves it to the side. It's just like that ain't well why we're here, lady. I, like we're not we're not here to be buddies. And yeah. it's like, hey, the next time I come by, I'm gonna need Brian's birth certificate and all his report cards. Uh, evidence of baptism would be great, mm-hmm. uh, just to know that he's not possessed, because that's currently our leading theory. Yeah, that he's not Satan incarnate. So um, if we could get that, you know, off the off the list of things that I have, to, if I could check that box, I would be a happy camper. Does Brian wear shoes, or do the hooves make that impossible? <laughs> I heard what she said, Father. Tell her about the galoshes. <laughs> you can just tie a belt around some boots, and then you'll never know. Do I have toesies or hoovesies, Miss Leland? <laughs> you be the judge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But he's a great tap dancer as well. <laughs> I do some soft hoof. <laughs> mother, mother, throw down some sand. I want a soft hoof. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this show anymore. <laughs> Was that it? Are you done now? There's <laughs> <laughs> some soft <laughs> oh fucking hell oh oh so good that's so good oh. and uh oh. but but here's the thing you were talking about earlier where like when miss leland is, is leaving bill and nancy kind of see her off and bill says we do the same thing nancy walk the crime scene mm-hmm. and then he the, he tells her don't get too comfortable around her she's not our friend yeah. And, you know, again, Bill just understands the situation. He's like, I, this is 100% what we do. They're looking to see if we're the ones causing this, mm-hmm. this behavior in our child. Because and, God forbid a child should do something like this. We, you know, it must be the parents. Right, right. And which is, I don't think is the craziest thing you ever heard. Of course, of course not. Of course not. Like, most of the time it is. You know, and yeah, yeah you're right. And, this is just that that case of like, hey, we adopted this child. We've done nothing but try to give this kid a good home, and it turns out he's evil. Yeah, well, yeah. he's he's damaged. 
<laughs> well, potato, potato, Duncan. <laughs> damaged like a fox, mother. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the. Try make me my new favorite character on this show. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> Bill, Bill, and Holden go to meet Manson in California, and like uh, Holden has brought. A copy of Helter Skelter, <laughs> of course, <he> has <laughs> to to get signed, and and Bill is just like, oh, you, you're the worst. <laughs> it's like, are you gonna g- get an autograph? And he's like, hey, th- like we're meeting Manson, it's a big deal. And Bill says, try not to moisten yourself before we get inside. Uh, right, uh, Ew. gross, Bill. <laughs> and- <laughs> So they get in, and the guard is like, hey, Charles uh, Ch- Charles Manson's not feeling it today. And they're like, hey, while we're here, let's talk to Kemper, because they're in the same jail, about returning to the crime scene. Like, we need to ask him that question anyway. And it was just nuts to think that Ed Kemper and Charles Manson were in the same prison. Sure. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, talk about your all-stars. And Yeah, what a time would be alive, but what a time would be alive. Oh, it's a heady time. Uh, at the the California Correctional Facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they talk to Kemper and he's like, so you're coming to meet Charles, huh? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. Well, he never got his hands dirty, did he? And like Kemper just totally gives Charles Manson a bunch of shit about not really being a murderer. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's not that. He, he, like he likes to run his mouth. He's a pretender. You right. know, like... Like, he usurps a lot of the the excitement and extent of what might be gleaned from an interview with him and once again solidifies himself as one of my favorite characters on this show. Yeah, well, he says, you know, a, a lot of that was heavily mythologized and Manson is certainly not doing anything to dispel any of that mythology. Mm-hmm. And then they say, uh, well, he tells them, you ought to talk to Tex. That's who you need to talk to. And uh, because he was the one who actually was there for the murders. And they're like, well, we need to ask you something, too. And he's like, oh, really? Okay. What do you need to ask me about? And they ask him about returning to the crime scene. And Ed Kemper, in typical Kemper fashion, is more than willing to talk about why going to the crime scene is this like incredible draw. You can't help it. If you're in a, uh, it, it helps you relive the moment of murder. But yeah, all- if you're in a killing off period where you're trying not to kill or escalate things, just purely going back to the spot of where you murdered someone or going to their body will give you the same euphoria for a time period anyway um, that you got when you killed the person. Yeah. And he's very matter of fact about it and, you know, very honest and a very Ed Kemper about the whole situation. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, the, the most interesting thing to me in all of it was him talking about how it helped him not kill for mm-hmm. a while. I thought that was really interesting. And then he says, uh, are you guys asking me about this because you're you're looking for somebody right now that you're looking for somebody that's currently killing? And he says, is it the East Area Rapist or the 45 killer in Florida or whoever? Like uh, true serial killers, you know, one of mm-hmm. which we just caught recently. And um, then they're like, well, we can't really talk about that. And he's like, oh, it's somebody that nobody knows about yet. Mm. You're, like, you've got you've got your eye on somebody that the public isn't aware of. And 
Uh, <laughs> Holden kind of gives Kemper some shit about like, hey, you're making assumptions. Uh, like, because Kemper is telling him like, if you want to know about this guy, he is living entirely in a fantasy world. The fantasies are only going to become more real to him. And but you would never know this. Like he is going mm-hmm. to look like everybody else. He is going to be. He's going to be a family man. He is going to be like you're. You're. You would never know it was him unless unless he told you. Yeah. And they're like, well, that sounds like bullshit, Ed. <laughs> no. Right. They're like, that's no, no, no. We think that he's probably a loner and all this because that's the profile that we have. And he's like. Have you ever considered that the only serial killers you've ever talked to are the ones who got caught? Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, Ed." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the, then the guard shows up and is like, "Hey, Charlie, uh, we'll see you now." And <laughs> as they're leaving, Ed Kipper is like, "Hey, guys, don't make fun of his height. Mm-hmm. He's real sensitive about, it, but he's short. He's a small guy." And so Bill and Holden are now taken to this interrogation room. So while they're waiting for Manson to show up, Bill notices that Holden has bought a new microphone, which he <laughs> also gives him a little look about of just like, God damn it, Holden. And then in comes Manson brought in in shackles. And Bill is like, hey, take him off. And here's this, like, it is the version of Manson that is, well, from that time period where he's just kind of long hair, uh, kind of bearded, not turning gray yet. He hasn't gone like shaved headed Manson yet, but, (laughs) but that's on the horizon. Yeah, but not that far removed from full-blown shaped head Manson. Right. But he still has, like, the scar of the swastika in his forehead and all that shit. And Holden, like, before he even sits down, Holden stands up as though it's, like, an, like a member of state arriving or something. <laughs> the president's coming, hail to the chief's being played in the background. Right. Hail to the chief, he's the one we all say hail to. We all say hail because he keeps himself so clean. Fairly sure that's not the words, but um, I like that version. I do like that version. That was from the movie Dave, uh, the movie uh, My Fellow Americans with Jack Lemon and James Garner also has some very funny versions of that Hail to the Chief mm-hmm. song. Anyway, not important and not relevant to this scene. But <laughs> um, like before they get started, Bill is giving him the spiel about like, We are not here to, like, nothing we say can be used against you. Uh, We want to talk to you about your family in relation to the crimes that you've committed. And immediately, uh, Manson, now free of his shackles, sits on the back of the chair uh, so that his feet are on the seat of the chair and he's he's sitting on the the back of it. Uh, Apparently he did this as well, because this is like, um, from a psychological point of view, this is a power play. So you are like you are putting forward body language of dominance by being taller than everyone else in the room. It's usually done by smaller people as well. Sure, and which he is both of those of <laughs> yeah, a short a person trying like a real Napoleon complex kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so M- Manson like mounts up on the back of the chair, and Bill starts asking him questions, and he's just like, "What is the truth, goddammit?" <laughs> I'm here to tell you the truth is simple and the only truth is now, goddammit. And, and they're like, well, what about 
what about all the people that like how did you get all these people to listen to you and he's like well you mean them children well those are just the children you didn't want man and i was the one who said god damn it in love there is no wrong you need to judge the lies that you live in god damn it and, and while he's doing this, yeah, Bill's starting to like, getting a little bit uneasy in his chair because the words are starting to, the words are being put over in such a way that maybe if the parents had paid a bit more attention, been a bit more loving and done their duty, maybe these kids right. wouldn't have gravitated themselves to uh, Manson, who is, for all intents and purposes in this scene as well, given that uh, the kind of revised opinion of what actually happened which was you know like things went south quick and i didn't ask them to do it they did it themselves yeah my my favorite moment in this is when uh bill is like or maybe it was holden who brings this up but he says like hey are so are you trying to say that all the what because at one point manson says um that like you know is it my fault that your children do what they do god damn it and um he says about the accusation he's like you know vincent bogliosi he's a good writer god damn it made up a bunch of shit and that district attorney hold on i gotta get this right because it's it's so good (laughs) that district attorney that's his fantasies man that's his fears and just hearing crazy manson talk Mm-hmm. of stuff like that like ben stiller also did a very funny bit back on the ben stiller show i think was it i don't know if it was ben stiller or bob odenkirk who played manson but it was like letters to manson about household tips <laughs> so it was like you would write to manson in prison and ask him like how do you get a stain out of a white tablecloth mm-hmm. and you know bob odin i think it was odinker anyway but their version of manson would just be like that's a thing man i'm a stain over your society (laughs) (laughs) you think you can just spill a glass brother well that glass is spread all over america it's spread all over your dreams and your nightmares and now all that glass all that wine that spilled on the tablecloth all that wine is you and your soul and your heart also try some baking soda (laughs) And he's like, those witnesses testify what was best for them, not what's best for me. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, he says, they're like, so you're saying that not only did they, like Sadie was the one who came up with the copycat killings and started to hear messages about a race war in the White Album. Mm-hmm. And Tex was big and strong. And so Tex decided he was going to kill somebody and charlie just went a- along with it and he was like look god damn it everybody's responsible for their own circle everybody's got a circle around them everybody's responsible for their own circle i'm not responsible for Texas circle i'm responsible for my circle god damn it and um <laughs> the way he puts it Texas is responsible for his love mm-hmm. and uh and, and then he says there are no rights there are no wrongs god damn it only is's. No man dies. No one ever lives. That's a that's lies in a leftover game. God damn it! I'm tired of being your reflection. I'm Pavlo's dogs. I'm anything you want me to be. <laughs> Can't you see I'm free? Just got this amazing Wilford Brimwood sitting in the back of chair. Uh huh. <laughs> 
And like while all this is happening, Bill has went from uneasy in his chair to out in that rage. <laughs> yeah, he's just like because you know Manson's whole shtick is I'm going to tell you it is your fault that I'm in here. Yeah, that, like, it's your it's your fault I'm in here, and it's your fault on how you bring up your kids. Right, right. And like, because like, the thing is as well, it's like, I don't know if he, we're seeing it from the, the viewpoint of Bill to an extent, but this is hyper-focused on, very hostile towards Bill, and I think it's because, like, Manson sees the, ad, no, it's not adoration, but sees the kind of hero worship from Holden, but is not getting it from Bill. So it's just decided that he's going to target all this on Bill. Um, and Bill has had about enough. Yeah. Well, because the idea that the parents are responsible for the actions of the children are, is all Bill is thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. And because of Brian. And so eventually, you know, he's just like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Get this. And he calls him a fucking midget. Uh, yeah. Calls Manson a midget. <laughs> And before Manson gets pulled away, he signs uh, Holden's book, his copy of Helter Skelter. He autographs it, from, just takes the book and autographs it. And Holden is just like, um, <laughs> thank you very much, Mr. Manson. Sir. Oh, you're the best, Mr. Manson. And then he says, oh, hey, I see you got some sunglasses here. God damn it. My, uh, usually I have kind of a golden tinted lens. Uh, you got anything like that? No. Uh, how about you just give me your sunglasses then? God damn it. And, and so Holden does, he's like, yeah, here you go, Mr. Manson. You can have my glasses. Um, and then Manson like takes a drink of the Coke and throws him the towel. And, uh, sorry, that's a co-commercial for my youth that no longer matters. <laughs> and then the, like on their way out, uh, cause that's kind of it. That's the whole Manson scene. And on their way out, uh, they hear a guard, behind him like calling after him and he's like hey here are your glasses your sunglasses and uh, charlie was bragging about stealing them and earned himself a couple of weeks in the hole mm-hmm. and holden's just like the fuck why would he do that and then holden as they leave holden's like we ought to go talk to tex he's right down the road and he would know like we we've heard charlie's side of the story now and I'm starting to doubt this legend of Charles Manson. Maybe, maybe he was kind of railroaded. You know, like the the district attorney had a narrative. He had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And maybe Manson isn't the like he's clearly unhinged, but maybe he's not the murderer everyone says he is. And Bill's like, I gotta go. I can't stick around for this bullshit. <laughs> he's like, but if I go and, and I trust you to do this by yourself, can you be? Can you be trusted? Are you going to fuck this up? And Holden's like, man, I got this, baby. It's cool. You're talking. <laughs> it's all good, baby. You're talking to Holden here. This is the H man. Ain't nothing going to go wrong. And uh, and and so <laughs> Bill's like, all right, I'm going to trust you. And he takes off for the airport where he ends up getting delayed anyway and just waiting. Of course it does. Ten hours for a, a flight or something. And uh, Bill then, as a result of being delayed at the airport, we see him showing up to an appointment with the child psychiatrist psychiatrist assigned to Brian's case. And he's a few minutes late. And immediately the psychiatrist is like, look, you don't have to worry about me so much, but you don't want to be late with Miss Leland and a lot of the other court appointed 
uh, staff who are here to to evaluate Brian because it's going to make you look like an asshole mm -hmm. if you're late all the time. He's like, nope, I know, I'm sorry, I just flew in, I had to do a thing for work. And he's like, well, is this common that you have to make these flights? And he's like, yeah, I'm afraid so. You know, I, I do a lot of work with the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation when the Behavioral Science Unit. And the psychiatrist is like, I don't even know what that is. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, well, we interview uh, criminals. And he's like, okay, what kind of criminals? And he's like, well, killers, like repeat killers. And he's like, really? And Nancy is like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, Yeah, you you're going to fucking sink this for us right. again. Right, you're going to destroy any chance we have of keeping this child. And uh, then he's like, well, who who were you talking to? And he was like, I was actually talking to Charles Manson. And, and then you hear like, this prominent sound of would-be knock <laughs> as the psychiatrist cock batters off the bottom of the desk. Right, his uh, coffee cup spills over. And, oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Did you say Charles Manson? <laughs> Hits the buzzer on his desk. He's like, eh. Jane, get in here. See, uh, this guy just met Charles Manson. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, he also canceled my next four appointments. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that, see, that is the mistake Nancy is always making, is that she thinks everyone thinks what Bill does is morbid and gross, because that's what she thinks of it. That's what I'm saying. There's a naivety in the way that she sees the world to how people are in the world. Like, there is a... like. I would say it's more human to have a healthy curiosity about the really dark, nasty shit people do than pretend it doesn't exist. Yes, we. I mean, we can get into a discussion of horror movies as a vent for some of those darker of thoughts and stuff course. like that. And, but I, I think there's a lot of overlap for people who are interested in horror films and stuff like true crime. And it's mm -hmm. just the this, you know, obsession or curiosity about the worst of human behavior. Yeah, it's, it's navigating the levels of depravity that we are capable of doing. Right. And, and I, I think that's what, like, like, Nance doesn't want to acknowledge any of that at all. Um, and that's where she keeps kind of falling over. But she finds out a very fucking quickly that <laughs> she probably practically nudges Bill and says, tell him about Richard Speck. You know? Like, yeah. Because this, this guy is eating out the palm of their hand. He doesn't want to talk about the kid's case anymore. He's actively engaged. He's forgiven, you know, Bill pretty much everything and he now wants to know everything they can about Manson. And of course, Bill being the consummate showman, as we'll find out later on, um, knows when to turn on the conversation about it and play up certain things and when not to. Yeah. It, yes, he is very good at it and, and has the psychiatrist on his side pretty quick. And then we go to Holden, who is interviewing Tex Watson, um, who is telling his side of the story. And he was like, look, I mean, we were a bunch of hippie kids. He was feeding us drugs constantly. He had this way of making you feel like the crazy shit you did was kind of your idea mm -hmm. and, and would push you, you know, would say like, Hey, what, what if there was a cop in this chair right now? Like, what would you do to him? And, and just keeps pushing everyone a little further and a little further. And meanwhile, the drugs keep on coming. So you're just out of your skull. And then, you know, he told them and, and you know, Texas like, no, no, no. Helter Skelter was all Charlie's idea. And none of that came from Sadie and the idea of starting this race war. That was all Charlie. 
and then you know he describes the the murders themselves and how he didn't really think about the right and wrong of it it was just like this is what we were supposed to do this is what charlie told us to do and all Mm -hmm. i could think about was him saying kill them all kill them all kill them all and so when he comes to sharon tate who was very pregnant at the time um and she begged for the life of her child he was like that's what i heard is just charlie saying kill them all kill them all kill them all and then after it was all over we just went home and went to bed and he was like i slept like a log that night i was i was dead and it was because i was just so tired like you have no idea how how much effort it is to stab people over and over and over again like that and we were supposed to even do more houses and we didn't because we were all so tired Mm -hmm. and it talks about the creepy crawls which are the most horrifying thing in the manson family stories if you ask me Mm -hmm. where they would just go into people's homes at night and rearrange their furniture and shit while they were sleeping oh yeah it's terrifying yeah it's oh my god it's just the, the most horrifying idea and you know but he was like at the end of the day like manson was a prophet and he was constantly preaching the apocalypse and if you're if you're alive on the last day on earth there are no consequences. Mm-hmm. So you never think about the right and wrong of it. Like, what would you do if you knew that the world was going to end tomorrow? And Holden's like, well, I'd like to think I would still know the difference between right and wrong. And, <laughs> and but Tex is like, yeah, but would it matter? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, of course it doesn't. And then he's like, but I take responsibility. Like, Charlie didn't kill those people. I killed those people. So I'm not blaming this on Charlie. I'm saying... Those are the the Tex Watson murders, not the Charlie Manson murders. But by the way, now I found Jesus and everything's cool because Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins. Mm -hmm. So that worked out in my favor, which is nice. And then they cut to the, the behavioral science unit where the gang is sitting around listening to the end of this conversation. And Wendy is like, you know, I think both of these people are somewhat full of shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like, on the one hand, Charlie is certainly culpable for a lot of this. But he's more like, what if it was the idea that, uh, that, like, Sadie and Tex say, hey, we should do these copycat killings. And Charlie's going to see that, even proposing that as a threat to his leadership. So he's got to go along with it and not just go along with it, but really inside it because it has to seem like it was part of his plan. Has to be seen as being driven from him. Right. So, um, and and, you know, everyone also makes note of the fact that, Oh, he also got these glasses and then lied about stealing them. So he could look, important in the eyes of the other inmates that look hey you know i stole these glasses off a bunch of fbi god damn it <laughs> and and is willing to spend time in solitary just to have that lie be believed you know and so it, it's a really interesting kind of dissection of like the relationship between manson and the family mm-hmm. um it was cool and then Wendy and Bill have to go to this fancy schmancy party uh, where Gunn has invited them. This is the one they kicked Greg out of the room for because Greg ain't invited to this party. Yeah, go fuck Greg. Get the fuck out of here, Greg. And <laughs> Greg, so a Gregless behavioral science unit shows up um, and, and Holden, not Holden, uh, Bill and Wendy show up at the same time. And Gunn. It's clear neither one of them want to be here. 
A hundred percent no. Neither one of them are excited about any of this. And but you know, Bill is like, "Hey, I, I left Nancy at home. She's she hates this shit." And what about you? And Wendy's like, "Yeah, that whatever uh, you said about a significant other, that's me too." <laughs> yeah, give me a second while I park my Subaru. <laughs> yeah, hey, is that a Subaru? You don't date women, do you? No, no, no. I just. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Subaru enthusiast. Subarubian. A Subarubian. I've heard about those Subarubians. They make magazines where it's two Subarubians together. <laughs> and and Gunn welcomes him welcomes him inside and is immediately telling Bill like, "Hey, the assistant director is over there. You need to go like whip some stories on him." And then he takes Wendy and is like, Hey, I'm glad you're here. And it's like unzipping the front of her shirt a little bit to show off a little more skeevy. It is skeevy. It is real skeevy. And he's kind of primping her up a little bit. It's like, Hey, I want you to meet this guy, Warren. And, uh, who's like this FBI kind of accountant, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's a liaison with some organization that helps, uh, budget some of the, uh, departments. And he's like, Oh, I've read all your, your work. And it's so fascinating. He's also maybe the horniest FBI agent in the history of the the bureau. Mm, is he? All I'm going to say is that the, the man has never really learned that no means no. No, uh, no, that that is absolutely accurate. <laughs> he, what he has heard is God loves a trier. <laughs> right. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again is his motto. Yeah. And... and there's a moment where Wendy realizes what he's after and she's just like, Oh, Oh, Warren. No, that's, I'm going to have to shut you down right here. And then we, we, while she's stuck with Warren for a second, we cut over to bill who is telling the Berkowitz story Mm -hmm. about, Hey, you know, he said that it was all an act and that the psychiatrist believed it more than anybody. And they're all like, Holden shows up and immediately Wendy is like, Holden, have you met Warren? I'm going to go to the bathroom and then fuck off. Yeah. And uh, like a a ninja powder blast and then disappears. Yeah. She's got to get out out of, uh, uh, out of Warren's line of sight, and then he forgets mm-hmm. all about her, <laughs> uh, like, like a Metal Gear villain, and yeah. <laughs> stops moving because she knows that Warren tracks movement like a T Rex. Uh huh. She's got a flare and just swings it and tosses it. <laughs> must go faster. Must go faster. Ah. All right, so. <laughs> Wendy, uh, after after she uh, gets free, uh, Holden also excuses himself and is like, hey, I got to go find Bill, who is now telling the Manson story about the sunglasses to these guys who are like, Charles Manson. <laughs> and, um, and they're like, hey, this is our other wonderkind. Um, this is Holden Ford, and he'll talk to you now. And Bill is like, all right, I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of sneak off. And Holden is like, yes, uh, that we're doing great work where we're learning fascinating stories about uh, the the psychological fingerprints of individual killers and how they can help us predict behavior. And everyone is just like, (laughs) and wanders (laughs) off because 
Holden, like Bill knows how to tell a, tell a story, and Holden is all about these lofty ideals of of what yeah, their department like he's is. A, about. He's about the mechanics and the the self grandizing nature of what it is they're doing, the vision, so to speak. Whereas, like Bill's about the war stories, and people want to hear the war stories. They don't want to hear about your the aspirational goals and dreams. They want to hear about the nitty gritty. Right. And so Wendy uh, is outside and, uh, and finds Bill out there uh, who is just having a smoke. And she asks about this Warren guy and he's like, oh, yeah, he's a real horn dog. You may want to steer clear of him. And she's like, oh, one step ahead of you. I threw a holding on him and, and got free. And then she's like, hey, are you OK? Like, you really seem like you've been going through some shit. And Bill comes clean about Brian. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, he was involved in this murder. He wasn't, he didn't participate, but, uh, he said we shouldn't talk about it. He turned Nance into a Jack in the box woman, <laughs> took the mouth off of our daughter. Now, and uh, if he finds out, I was telling you this, I'll disappear into a TV dimension. <laughs> Every time Nance walks past his bedroom door, he says he can smell her cunt. Yeah, it's, it's deeply disturbing. It's very weird, but it, in fairness, he did that before the murder. <laughs> should have should have tipped us off, probably. <laughs> and so, Bill, uh, she's like, "Hey, is there anything I can do for you?" And he's just like, "Just keep your mouth shut about it. I just want you to know." And mm-hmm. then they head back in, and where Warren is just waiting there. And it's like, oh, where have you been? And she's like, I'm really not feeling well. And he's like, really? Do you need me to come with you to administer some sort of medicine? And she's like, no, I'm just going to go home. And and he's like, well, let me take you. And this is where she's like, Warren, no, no. (laughs) She rolls up a newspaper and hits him in the nose twice. (laughs) And meanwhile, Gunn tells Bill that he's been hired, uh, been invited to this fancy director's retreat, mm-hmm. uh, where the, he's going to speak and they're going to meet the director. And and uh, Bill is like, "This was your plan all along, wasn't it, Ted?" And he's like, "Maybe." He's like, "Clever girl." <laughs> yeah. And uh, then Holden gets a call, like uh, after the party, Holden's in his uh, his, you know efficiency apartment or whatever and gets a a call from Jim in Atlanta and he says hey there's been another murder down here and uh, the FBI is going to get called in Mm -hmm. and Holden then is is getting some information so is pulling a notepad out of his copy of Helter Skelter and he sees the inscription there it's not just a signature that Manson gave him he he dropped in a few words of wisdom Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is, each night you sleep, I destroy the world, goddammit. And... Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and that is the end of uh, episode five. Where now, as we're seeing, we went deep dive into that one, but this one was almost feature movie length. I think it's about 75 minutes long, this episode, so... Yeah, it, w- it was a, a pretty hefty episode. The next one uh, clocks in under an hour. Um, and it's a, a little lighter in terms of action, to be honest. Um, but let's, let's get into it. Uh, yes. episode six begins with our old pal, the BTK killer, 
Um, he's at Wichita State University in their library making uh, photocopies of uh, one of his poison pen pal letters. Which is what he used to do. So um, he found that apparently, I think it was typewriters could be tracked back. So if he photocopied something maybe once or twice, um, it would, it would, because of the, the copy, it, the way things are copied, it would change things slightly. It would warp them. They wouldn't be able to trace ink, etc. He thought it was a really clever guy, Bo. Really yeah. clever guy. And he is, I mean, a really clever guy, assuming that, and I mean, he obviously never had an office job because the first thing you learn when you have an office job is when you really want to photocopy something and you don't want anyone to see it like your butt cheeks, um, that's when the machine will break every yeah. time. <laughs> so, right, he's he's photocopying, you know, one of these letters and it jams. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, hey, um, this thing's fucked up. And w- <laughs> one of the staff members is like, oh, yeah, they, we've been having problems with it all day. He's like... Well, maybe you should put a fucking sign on it then, you I'm dick. kind of a BTK on this one, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. And so the the guy's like, hey, well, here's here's half your, your piece of paper that you were trying to copy. Uh, and he's like, I need the other half. And he's like, well, I got to call a Xerox guy to come work on it to, to get in there and, and get it. And he's like, it's my personal property, and I'm going to be here until I get a fucking piece of paper in my hand. <laughs> And the guy's like, all right, man. And he opens up the inside of it and hands, you know, like pulls the other half a page out and hands it to BTK, um, who is just being a dick and just like grabs it and storms off. Um, and he's like, that's yeah, my personal property. Like the, guy, the, the guy can clearly see the BTK symbol. He just doesn't know what it is. Right. Yeah. I like this was all still under the radar. Nobody knew that, you know, this guy was out killing. Well, I mean, people knew, but didn't know all the ins and outs of the BTK shit. Mm-hmm. And then we, we cut to the behavioral science unit where Greg is pitching the bag murderer, who was a killer who killed people and then dismembered them and uh, tied up all the parts in paper, uh, not paper bags, but trash bags, mm-hmm. which then uh, washed up on the shores of, where was it? New York, I think is where. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> At any rate, um, he he crews like leather bars and like uh SM clubs and whatnot uh f- for his victims and bill and holden are just like well i mean these people are kind of fucking asking for it right like they're trying to get all leathered up and choked and shit and mm-hmm. greg is like listen you ignorant fucks <laughs> the, there's a very like distinct difference between people who enjoy a little bit of pain and uh people who you know murder so so we agreed right now that 100 percent, 100 percent, greg has had an object inserted in his anus that has been attached to a live car battery right like greg secretly has the lament configuration (laughs) hello hello (laughs) boo has brought me back again for another, I don't know why I keep coming back here. This is not the show for me. It's just funnier when I do whimsical uh, conversations on a show like Twin Peaks, which <laughs> I very much hope that David Lynch brings back in some form or another. Uh, what time is it? What year am I in now? Oh, you're in the year of Pinhead, which is actually a secret year, which happens every once, every thousand years on the Chinese calendar, which is 
where you get the box from the Chinese man. I'm going to go now because I feel I've overstayed my welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me back, Bo. Bye, everyone. <laughs> it's always great when Pinhead shows up. Yeah, yeah. I like the, uh, the idea that like Greg opens the box and they show up. And they're just like, you open the box, we came. Oh, Greg. Oh, fuck you, God Greg. God damn it, Greg. <laughs> God damn you, Greg. Chat- I've given up my annual shuffleboard session for this. Chatterbox, get the box from him. <laughs> Stop calling Greg. Yeah, this Greg's just so- isn't working out for us. <laughs> Craig's so desperate for friendship and companionship, he keeps opening the box. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, like hey, you guys, uh, I was thinking of maybe watching a movie later or something. No, Greg. No. <laughs> I am sorting my sock drawer from hell. The, the socks with the fish hooks in them. People often leave them in the drawer, fish hook side out. It's fish yes. hook side in. For ultimate pay. <laughs> but I have to sort those, Greg. It's a whole thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll guess I'll give you guys a call next Saturday. We really have a lot on the plate at the moment. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, me, me, you know, well, maybe we could do something later on in the week. I am I am busy that night. I didn't tell you what night it was. Yes, I am busy. Yes. <laughs> Greg, there are a number of other hell demons. Why don't you try another box? Have, um, have you considered perhaps just raising the dead? <laughs> that feels more your speed, Greg. We're more pain-pleasure demons, but you just seem like you need a pal. <laughs> we we will tear this friendship apart, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, but yeah, so Wendy and Greg are like, they seem to kind of know their shit, uh, and, but they point out like, hey, this guy is planning very carefully some of these murders and is using these this kind of BDSM scene as a means of opportunity. Yeah. And then Holden just stands up and starts going towards the TV like a moth to the flame, and they're yep. like, what are you doing, Holden? And he's like, oh, it's the Atlanta police commissioner i recognize that guy and it's him making the announcement that the fbi is officially welcomed into the investigation and then gun uh immediately invites bill and holden up to his office to say that the behavioral science unit is being sent in and he and he says like look a lot's riding on this you need to to score you know, like, well, you need to contribute to the finding of this murderer. But remember, this is a political environment. So uh, Bill's like, are you saying not to play nice? He's like, no, I'm not saying not to play nice, but play smart. Mm-hmm. And then Holden runs out because he's like, we're going to Atlanta. We're going to Atlanta, everybody. <laughs> and Bill uh, gets stopped because Gunn is like, hey, remember when I told you about keep, keeping him on a fucking leash? This. This is why. <laughs> yeah. remember when i had the conversation about horses um right this is <laughs> all roads lead to this wendy is giving bill some shit about like hey you're you know we're not getting anything done you're not being able to devote full time to atlanta because you're gonna have to fly back here i don't have time and the, and quite frankly the experience 
to hire and train new agents to help conduct some of these interviews, you know what Greg is. Mm-hmm. So I need some help around here too. And Bill's like, I know, I know everything's cool. We're going to be fine. And you can just hear that screw tightening a little bit more in Bill's yeah. brain. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm going to murder all of you. Uh, I, have no, I have no choice. I'm afraid. And so Bill goes home and Nancy, Nancy is opening up a bag of new sheets because Brian can't stop pissing the bed. He's just doing it through spite now. Yeah. Mother, come here. The bed will be wet in a mere moment. <laughs> oh, then get up and go to the bathroom. I don't think so, mother. I believe now these. It. <laughs> right. He just gets out of bed as soon as the, the pissing is done. Hmm. This bed looks to be in, cha- in need of changing, mother. Yes. <laughs> this, a be- this bed appears to be soiled. Have you purchased new sheets, mother? Have you purchased a new mattress? We will be in need of both of those things soon. <laughs> I've added them to the shopping list for tomorrow. Also, but you've not went to bed yet. That's right, mother. <laughs> let's just say I can predict the future, mother. And I see yes. you changing wet sheets tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Dominus! <laughs> Are you planning on cutting off the crust of my bread and the sandwich tomorrow as well, Mother? I have a, I have another prediction coming in fast and hot on the psychic network, Mother. It turns out I will like crust on my bread as soon as you cut it off. You'll be making, t- <laughs> you'll be making two sandwiches tomorrow, Mother. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite character. <sighs> if I were you, mother, I'd invest heavy in Pampers. <laughs> it's the only way you can hope to recoup some of the loss. <sighs> Do you understand why, mother? Because I'm going to be piecing myself quite a bit. <laughs> and FYI, I shat on your fine china. There's also... A bit of semen hidden somewhere in this house, mother. I know I am young. Uh, I'm not of age to produce it, but surprise. I bought, I purchased it from a hobo near the subway. <laughs> hobo just. And, oh. and I used your credit card, mother. <laughs> That's the demonic double tap. I was most surprised that the hobo accepted American Express, but I never leave home without it. <laughs> Mother's American Express card. Never leave home without it, says the demon child. <laughs> Dominus! <laughs> I purchased a number of things from hobos with your American Express card, Mother. <laughs> it's quite the cornucopia of garbage and human refuse. Uh, You'll be finding bits and pieces for some time. <laughs> it's because I purchased them from a leper. <laughs> Just ask yourself one question, Mother. Can Brian reach my toothbrush? <laughs> well, can he, punk? <laughs> Does he know where the foot the footstool is? And oh. do you mean the one under the stairs, Mother? That footstool? The one that makes it ever so easy for my small childish hands to procure your toothbrush? And Robert on my sphincter? Hmm. I've got a very clean winky, mother. (laughs) 
But your mouth is quite filthy. <laughs> Breath is shitty. <laughs> There's a lot of shit coming out of your mouth right now, mother. And I think oh. some of it may be Brian's. <laughs> Dominus! <laughs> <laughs> so, he's not even in this scene. So... <laughs> no, he isn't. Uh, easily the most creepy scene of this whole season. <laughs> Come right, coming up in this episode, yes, we are we are working our way up to the moment where Brian just does the Damien turn to camera. Yeah. Um. So she also says that Brian is now playing with his rubber duckies in the bath again, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> they float around me, mother. They, <laughs> they taunt me. I shall kill them all. I'm going to bone them all, mother. Um, and then he he Bill is like. Hey, I gotta go to Atlanta. Like <laughs> this we- sounds great, Nance, and I really want to take an interest in a clearly satanic demon child. However, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could stay and hang out with you and easily the most unsettling child I've ever been privy to. But instead, the Bureau's put me up in the Hilton. <laughs> Look, the Bureau asked me, would I rather stay at home or go to Atlanta to hunt down a human monster murdering <laughs> children left and right. And I said, Atlanta is great this time of year. <laughs> they said that they didn't need me, but I insisted they did. <laughs> right. And Nancy is clearly not pleased. And he's like, look, Nancy, I'm sorry. And she's like, hey, you said you had to go. You have to go. I'm not going to get it. That's fine. And Bill's just like, all right, fine. And he goes to check on Brian who is asleep in his bed with his thumb in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And Bill pulls the thumb out, and then like a, a forked tongue rolls out onto the pillow. <laughs> yeah, he pulls, pulls the tongue, and all he hears is... <laughs> Brian uh, opens his eyes, and Bill screams, My God, what have you done to his eyes? <laughs> the year is zero. <laughs> <laughs> Hail, Satan! Um, the year is zero is such a great line. That's a thing that if you can get away with yelling that in public. Oh yeah. Yeah. You should try and find opportunities to use it. Yeah. And get creative. Get creative. The year is zero. Hail Satan. Um, uh, anyway, so, uh, Wendy and Greg have decide they're going to go talk to this bad killer dude and he, uh, denies all the murders. Of course he does. He's not a murderer. Right. He's one of those dudes who's like, here, uh, let me give you my theory about why this killer was. <laughs> yeah, in- that, I understand that my name's Dave. So we'll just call the guy who is a killer rave. <laughs> so let's say rave <laughs> wanted to have this power exchange and create this relationship and this bonding. And then he would take someone who really wanted to go that far. And mm-hmm. Wendy's like, are you saying that he only picked people who wanted to die? To die? And he's like, not wanted to die, but wanted to know what it was like to die mm-hmm. or, or to feel close to that. And, but the second that uh, she starts talking to him about like the process of killing people, he's like, well, I don't know. That's only, that's something that only the killer would know. And I didn't kill anybody. So, mm-hmm. Uh, I think this interview is over and then kind of rolls out 
And so once again, Wendy and Greg have kind of botched something, even though in this case it was more like, eh, it's just the killer being a little bit on to them. They just um, don't have the flow, the, yeah. the hold and catch flow. Wendy, Wendy comes pretty close. Greg is useless in this scenario. Fuck Greg. I mean, he really says very little in all of this. and Which is the way I want to see Greg in every scene, saying right. very little, if not anything at all. And Holden uh, finally arrives back in Atlanta, where they go to the headquarters that we saw in a previous episode, but it was all empty and nobody was around or paying attention. But now it's like bustling with activity. Mm-hmm. And Jim uh, Beard greets him. And he's like, hey, uh, there we've got an honest-to-goodness lead, and I'm going to take you up to the chief's office, where he's playing a call for the mother who had uh, the phone call in the previous episode. And th- they're like, hey, we got this call in that is someone saying, this is where you can find the body of one of the kids. And they're playing this for to see if this matches the voice that she had heard before. Mm-hmm. And and she's like, I don't know. All you white people sound alike to me. It, very racist. Right. Well, and she says, it's just all hate. It's all hatefulness. And that's mm-hmm. all I can hear in it. And uh, they're like, yeah, that's, you're not wrong. And sorry, <laughs> sorry about everything. And she's like, Hey, um, are you still looking for my son Earl? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're working on it. And, when she leaves, Holden is immediately like, hey, there's no body there. Like, you're, we're not actually paying attention to this, right? And they're like, this is the only lead we got. And he's like, yeah, but why didn't the caller... Like, first of all, it's not a black dude. And it, we know it's a black dude. Second of all, why would the killer call you instead of going to the press? We know from people like, you know, Berkowitz and, and those folks that the media... Uh, and even Zodiac, like the media matters more than the mm-hmm. police. And the detective is like, hey, I have got all these murders and now I'm responsible for this. And this is literally the only lead we have. So we are going to go out there and find out if there's a fucking body out there. And and the, in fairness, this chief actually seems to care. He seems to give a shit. It's yeah, just that yeah. Holden is like, this is... Like, this is not going to net us anything. And then we cut over to the Tinch family meeting the psychiatrist, where it's like, you know, Bill and Brian and and Nancy all sitting on a couch while the psychiatrist is on a chair across from him, questioning Brian about the day of the murder, but he just says nothing. Mm -hmm. And the psychiatrist... uh, Finally, it's just like, hey, I'm not getting anything out of this kid. I'm going to meet with Bill and Nancy, just the three of us. We can make it if we, we try. And the he says, hey, so Miss Leland visited Brian's class. And Nancy's like, what? She did what? She didn't tell us. And he's like, yeah, she's under no obligation to tell you shit. Yeah. She's just bombing in to see what's going on with him in the classroom. And it turns out he's not really saying anything. He's not talking to the other kids. He's falling behind in class. He's just being a real creepy lump. And then Bill tells him about the bedwetting and the him playing with old toys and sucking on his thumb and all kinds of stuff. And Nancy's like, well, maybe it's all just talking about all this stuff, huh? Maybe that the mm-hmm. trauma is talking about all this trauma. 
Like we drove by the house the other day and he just saw the house and then asked if we could go get pancakes. And Bill's like, look, Nancy, <laughs> come on. Like you're being mm, a real, a real speed bump in this whole thing. <laughs> and the psychiatrist then tells her like, look, he didn't just forget and he's not just going to get over it. Like nobody ever forgets this kind of trauma. We just have to give him a safe space to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And Nancy seems unconvinced to say the least. For fuck's sake, Nance, come on, play the game. You know, like uh, Queen said, you got to play the game mm -hmm. of love. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. So Holden then uh, shows up at this retreat with the uh, director and Gunn intercepts him and, or I'm sorry, Bill shows up. And Gunn intercepts him and is like, hey, so the director likes to be called the judge because that was his former office. And he's also oh, wouldn't you want to be called the judge? Well, of course I would. But I've seen nothing but trouble a lot. Mm, nice. And so he's like, hey, you're going to have an hour, but keep it to 40 minutes. This thing, even though it's a retreat symposium, it's like 10% symposium and 90% retreat. So, first of all, go upstairs, take off your suit, and stop looking like you're going to a job, and start looking like you're at a vacation. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll go upstairs. And meanwhile, the judge comes in, and Gunn kind of, you know, uh, subverts him from meeting Bill at that point. And then we have the creepiest scene <laughs> in this or any television show, where... <laughs> Go on. I was just going to say, like, this is like like all the fun we've been having thus far. <laughs> but yeah, he's an evil kid. Let's play up how evil he is by doing Gregorian chant and making him like a mini Hannibal Lecter with like this really weird kind of fecal side that we hadn't really planned on until this episode. And this is where the like this is where shit gets real because like what they do is they play off a particular thing which is known to happen in kids that will ultimately become serial killers or violent offenders. So does that as well. Yeah. So he has, uh, Nancy is looking, she's made lunch for Brian and goes out into the backyard. He's not there. She sees that the gate is open. She starts looking for him and finds him at the edge of a park, staring at a little girl on the swings. And Nancy, misreading the situation entirely, is like, it's okay, you can go play. And he takes, like, a step towards her, and the <laughs> mother of this girl is like, bold to the shit, and grabs <laughs> grabs her daughter and is like, I'm getting out of here with you and your creepy fucking kid. Mm -hmm. And Nancy then is telling Brian, like, hey, you know it's impolite to stare, right? And he's just, you know, giving her the, the crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll stare at what I like, mother. I was trying to set her on fire. I just don't have the ability <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> when I turn 16, I will turn this world to ash, mother. Uh, and she, she uh, after she tells Brian to, that it's impolite to stare... She's like, hey, you need to come home with me. And he just turns around and walks off and, and goes back home. 
So what mm-hmm. what was your like? Hey, this is the the mark of a killer thing. Well, it's it's more the sta- it's the state, not just the staring, but it's the nature of the staring. If you know what I mean, he's not looking at her in a way which you could perceive as being he wants to play. It's with the curiosity that a cat would stare at a bird before it kills it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like th- these are traits. Like once again, with the the aid of many. Many, 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 many hours, many books on this subject matter here. This is what this is what they call as one of the telltale signs of things. Now, kids can be awkward and you know stand off to the side and stare when they're younger and all the rest. But when you add this in with the bedwetting, which is definitely one of the triggers, and um, the only thing he's missing is the arson thing, which you never know. Um, but yeah, this is this is a, a this is a bad sign. Um, and you know it's a bad sign because how it makes everyone around feel, including Nance. <laughs> yeah. Nancy is maybe starting to come around to the idea that, you know, we need to talk about Brian. We need to talk about Brian. So in Rockdale, Georgia, Duncan, mm-hmm. people are uh, hunting for the body uh, as defined by this uh, phone call that they got. And nothing's found. It's getting dark, and the helicopter that they're using for the search is like, hey, we need to call it a night. It's getting too dark to see anything. And so they suspend it, uh, suspend the search for the night. And the the detective, uh, or the chief, rather, is all pissed off, and Holden's there, of course. Um, And Holden's like, look, we were never going to find anything here. But uh, maybe, you know... I can help you focus the investigation. And the chief is like, look, I'll do anything at this point. Like there, we are making no progress and we're just running into dead end after dead end. Um, very notably in this shot, there is a photographer featured, uh, Mm -hmm. that will be important later. Yes. So the judge, uh, (laughs) the, uh, director asks bill like, Hey, can we do something in Atlanta? Like, is, are, is the behavioral science unit being there valuable? And Bill's, like, work in the room with stories of Kemper. And this is the point where Judge, uh, the judge, rather, says, you know, I, I understand what you're saying in the work that you're doing and, and trying to establish this link between things that happened in their childhood and, and the people they became. But as a judge, hence what everyone calls me, Mm-hmm. I saw a bunch of kids come through that I knew were just bad. And if I'd had the ability to lock them up at the time, I would have. And Bill is just like, oh, God. Uh, yes, Brian. I get it, everyone. We're talking about Brian. Cut. Can I speak to the scriptwriter, please? Can yes. I get a fucking... Can I just not enjoy this whiskey and a couple of jokes? Yeah. Colleagues? Do we always have to bring it back to fucking Brian? So Bill is just like, oh, all right, let me give Nancy a jingle real quick. So he calls home. And he's like, hey, how's everything going? How's Brian doing? And, and she's like, creepy as fuck. Listen to what happened at the park. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> did he float, Nance? Um, <laughs> and then she says, like, I'm not sure I can do this alone. And he's like, you're not alone, baby. You got me. And she's like, you're not fucking here. <laughs> I'm going to bed with a crazy kid in the next room. What's that, Nance? You're breaking up. I'm going in a tunnel. Right. <laughs> uh, Nancy, I can't hear you. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> and 
And, and then he hangs up the phone and just goes back to this group of guys that are all, you know, drinking and smoking cigars and whatnot. And uh, just kind of loses himself in the moment uh, as best he can. And then we cut to another relationship moment, this time between Kay and Wendy. And Wendy is going over some paperwork and Kay is uh, on Wendy's couch doing um, a magazine relationship quiz. Yeah. And just one of those crossword, one of those, one of those quizzes that ask people about things, you know, one could see very similar to what Wendy does in her career. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Kay is asking her, you know, some questions from the magazine. She's like, where did you get that? And she's like, I found it on the bus. And and Wendy goes, ew, which I really found (laughs) funny. And, but Kay keeps after her and it's like, hey, something is bothering you. What is it? And Wendy talks about this bad killer shutting her down. And, you know, uh, Wendy's like, look, I've, I've been working on people like this my whole life. And, and Kay's like, yeah, but not in person. It's different in person. And Wendy's like, really? What the fuck are you talking about, Kay? <laughs> Get, like, you see the, the hackles go up a little bit. And, she, mm-hmm. and Kay is like, no, I'm just saying you don't have to be great at everything at, at everything you do the first time you do it. And Wendy just goes, hmm, disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's one of those, are you talking about Kay? Or are you talking about your how you felt that interview went? She's like, let me just take a second here and read over the psychology report, which is in a specialism that I have extensive knowledge and qualifications and why don't you go and pour me a fucking drink okay. right right <laughs> take there. your fucking bus magazine with you bitch um and so we go to holden who is watching some news at a hotel bar about the the murders and and the search and all that mm-hmm. and as he's going back to his room he sees tanya at the front desk who is the sexy lady that took him to meet all the mothers the atlanta yes. the oracles of atlanta foxy shazam yeah foxy shazam and she, she uh he's he tries to avoid her and get up to his room but then she sees him at the elevators and is like agent ford is that you and he's like oh shit the last <laughs> the last time i saw her she took her scrapbook back and looked at me like i was an asshole and no, Agent Ford is my cousin. I'm an Agent Snord, which is weird because we, even though we're cousins, we might have the same surname. But his name seems implausible. Our our names are homonyms, <laughs> but that's how it works in the country I'm from. Mm-hmm. That I can't tell you about right now because I have to go to my room. And uh, anyway, she is like, hey. Uh, what are you doing back here? I, I saw that you checked in and we haven't talked. And he's like, hey, I'm actually personally working on the case. I can't really tell you a lot of details, but I'm me- I've got a big important meeting coming up with people from every jurisdiction and, and we're really working on it. And she's like, hey, has anybody talked about where these kids were working? And he's like, yeah, like one of them was selling car batteries and one of them was doing this other thing. And she was like, no, no, no. They were kind of hustling on the streets all the time. Sometimes they were stealing stuff, and sometimes they sold themselves. Ugh. And he's like, "Yeah, right." And even holds like, "Yeah, really?" And she's like, "Yeah, you need to 
follow up with that. Um, and uh, Holden's like, you know what? That sounds like a clue. I'll do that. And then we see Bill returning home from one of his, like, I, I'm coming back from this retreat thing. Oh, Bill <laughs> is hammered. He is the kind of drunk where he has to, like, slide down the wall to sit down so that he can take off his shoes. I mean, he's two steps away from a Hasselhoff and a hamburger. Yes, he is in the in the ballpark of a Hasselhoff. <laughs> he's, a, he's about two-thirds Hasselhoff. Yes. So he's like a Hasselhoff. <laughs> yeah, he's just a Hasselhoff. And <laughs> I also like the fact that he comes in smoking a cigarette and just opens the door to flick it out the front door. <laughs> I'm like, I've done that move. It's been a while, but I've done that. Um, it's great. I don't smoke anymore. Nobody should smoke. FYI. No, it's a terrible, it is a very bad habit and you should stop immediately. And it's also difficult to do that. So maybe just smoke. I don't know. I can't tell you how to run your life. Um, so, uh, he climbs into bed finally with Nancy, who is just doing that. Like I'm awake and staring at the middle distance. While, yeah. while my drunk husband climbs into bed and I'm just going to sit here and hate him for a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to this and six weeks from now, when he's at his happiest, I will cast this back on him. Yes, this <laughs> is going to come back up. But yeah, tenfold. So um, then uh, Holden uh, goes, uh, who is in Atlanta right now, um, is asking Jim at the headquarters, he's like, hey, what is what's the situation with child prostitution in Atlanta? Jim's like, uh, I know there is some. Are you looking? What's going on? <laughs> and he's like, oh, we don't have time to talk about that right now. We got to go to this meeting with a bunch of these chiefs from different jurisdictions. And this is where Holden is like, hey, we need to refocus our efforts on the dump sites because we know from our interviews that these killers like to return to the scene. And so instead of just looking in general areas just to because we have a hunch that uh, maybe we can scour these neighborhoods or whatever, let's refocus on where we, statistically speaking, he should be returning to. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, are you sure about this? That's going to require like a lot of manpower. And our chief that we've you know been following that was doing all the searching, the false report of the body being dumped and stuff like that. He's the first one who's like, Hey, we need to do something. And this is something. So I'm, I'm approving this. We are throwing all our manpower behind this. And, um, Holden says, I'm going to go with the chief while Jim and Bill are going to go interview locals, uh, who were in the neighborhoods where kids got abducted to mm-hmm. kind of re canvas the neighborhoods. And they talk to this old lady who's kind of sitting out on the porch. She's like, yeah, I'm always out here. And uh, they start asking her about the the kid who went missing. And she's like, oh, yeah, I saw him out here. And, um, you know, a lot of the kids end up going to one of these two houses. There's this brick house over here. And there's this yellow house over here. And that's kind of where they hang out. And so you may want to keep an eye on those. And they go to another uh, interview and they talked to this mother whose kid knew the boy who disappeared mm-hmm. and 
as they're talking to him, they realize that not only did he know this kid, he knew some of the other kids too. Yeah. And once again, Jim and Bill find out that these witnesses had never been interviewed by police. Yeah. And this is, this is part and parcel of what you do. You go back through it and make sure nothing has been missed. Right. And, you know, they're like, hey, this is the third person we've talked to that never got talked to to begin with. So it was clear that the police were just not following up on anything at all. And anyway, so they get interrupted from that that interview because there's a dump site that has been discovered. Like they have gone back to do what Holden suggested, which is return to some of the scenes where they found bodies. And lo and behold, they, they are finding more bodies in the same area. It's, it's just, I think it's three, isn't it? Yes. To begin with. Yeah. And, um, they find a body that's too old to be the, the Earl kid. And this local police department, this just little, you know, kind of podunk Georgia police department. It's not Atlanta proper where the body is found. Um, they're like, hey, we don't even have a forensics unit. Like, we've just got some guys wandering around bagging this shit up to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. And then somebody shows up and is like, hey, we found some porn. Yeah. And so they find a couple of porn magazines and a shoe and like some cigarette butts. And they're like, hey, there there are prints on the magazine. And so they they run the prints against the criminal database, which returns a result of this just white dude who's a plumber. And Holden is like... His name was Manu. <laughs> right. He had been fighting a giant primate <laughs> in his attempt to rescue a woman and things got out of hand. As they will... The global, everything. Sometimes you, as a plumber, just grab a wrench and see a a giant ape, and you're like, I gotta fucking kill that monkey. (laughs) He is up to no good, and it's up to me, a plumber, to deal with this. But, so, so Holden is like, there is no way this is our guy. See above regarding him being a white dude. And they're like, hey, again, this is a lead. We found pornography with this dude's fingerprints on it at the crime scene. So we have to talk to him. Mm -hmm. But because there's not a whole lot of evidence beyond his fingerprints on some porn magazines at a crime scene, they have to go to the district attorney to get a warrant. Mm -hmm. And this dude is like an old school Southern politician who is having a fundraising event at this fancy hotel so Bill and Jim and Holden show up at it, uh, at this event, um, and are waiting for him in like the kitchen to try to get a few minutes with him to obtain this warrant. Cause they're trying to strike quickly before word of it can leak out and, and, and set off a situation where he can destroy evidence or something like that. So that's why they feel like just normal surveillance isn't going to work because if he ever gets wind of it, he can just. You know, like I said, just get rid of all the evidence and then then they won't have anything on him. Yeah, by the time they get in, it's all gone. Right. And and so they find out, like, oh, also, we check the clothes of these kids. There's no blood on it, on on the clothes, but there's seminal fluid. Mm, Yuck. Right. And so they finally are talking to this district attorney who's like, look, I don't issue warrants based on a bunch of fringe psychology nonsense. (laughs) But how come... 
a bunch of flavored gibbets. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know how to spell the word fifara. I, I don't cotton to you city folk coming into my my fundraising event to tell me that down here in the great state of Georgia that we have to do what y'all Yankees say. I say, I say, I say. I better not look. I just might. I say, I just might be in there. Uh, <laughs> the the best Yosemite Sam moment in the history of Yosemite, not Yosemite Sam, uh, Foghorn Lake. Foghorn Lake. Yeah. yeah. Is what it's the episode uh, where he is babysitting the super genius chick mm-hmm. that is constantly fucking with Foghorn Leghorn because Foghorn Leghorn ain't so smart. He's just real charming. <laughs> and they're playing hide and seek. And Foghorn Leghorn hides in basically a dumpster, you know, a giant trash bin, as you may know it in uh, the UK. Ah, trash bin, yeah. And. The kid does some calculations and Foghorn Leghorn like peeks out of this trash bin and sees him like doing math on a, on his paperwork and then starts to dig in the middle of this clearing and Foghorn Leghorn's like, Hey, stupid kid. And the kid like pull, like digs up two uh, shovelfuls of dirt and then just drives the shovel into the ground and like, like a lever tilts the handle back and foghorn leghorn just pops out of the ground (laughs) it's very funny but then foghorn leghorn looking confused as all shit as you would imagine is like what and then runs over to the trash bin and starts to open it and says i better not i might i say i just might be in there it was one of those moments of like true absurdity in a, uh, a a Warner Brothers cartoon that was like Twin Peaks in right, it was like this is for me. I don't know why this joke is so funny to me, but I saw that for the first time when I was what like seven, and that joke in particular has carried with me to this day because of how <laughs> fucking bizarre it is. Um, anyway, where the hell were we in this? Oh yeah yeah yeah. So um, the DA finally does issue a warrant. But he says, I don't want any press. Here is my condition. Don't fuck me on this. Do not allow the press anywhere near this. Do this fast. Do it quiet. And if this isn't the guy, you cut him loose quick. Mm-hmm. And so Holden, uh, they they do. They descend on the, this poor guy's house. And Holden has them hide the the fact that they're towing his truck away. Because he doesn't want the the dude to know that they have his truck. And the, but the whole time Holden is just like, I don't know about this. I don't think this is a great idea. And Bill's like, fuck you, Holden. This is going to be great. This guy, we got finger, uh, honest to goodness, fingerprints. That's police shit. And so the show kind of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger where Mm -hmm. they're making the dude sweat it out in the interrogation room. And the police commissioner shows up and says, how sure are you? And they're like, eh, we, no, we're not going to know till we talk to him. Like, we really... 50-50, he's not, or he is. That's where mm-hmm. we are. And uh, the chief then sees the media show up, which is exactly what the DA did not want to happen. And Holden is like, how does the media keep showing up? Like, how do they know where we're going? 
And he's about to cut downstairs to tell him that they just found some more bodies and blah, blah, blah. Basically throw him off the scent. And the commissioner is like, the hell you are. That's my job. Mm -hmm. And and then cuts in front of Holden so that he can get downstairs and talk to the press. And Holden then meaningfully looks out the window as he muses about, hey, somebody in our uh, we we got a leaky ship here that somebody is feeding information to the press and there endeth episode six of uh season two of Mindhunter. feel fucking good bull yeah yeah like it it's crazy how much this show is juggling mm-hmm. um because you're dealing with the stuff going on with bill I don't think necessarily the Wendy and Kay relationship is handled all that well to be honest it feels yeah like we get maybe a scene per episode, but it feels like it's almost we're we're doing a little bit of lip service to give Wendy this something to do this season because she really doesn't have that much to do. Yeah, yeah, I in a lot of respects, I think season two is ebbing the a lot of things that it did in season one. You know what I mean? So it's following a, a similar formula, even though it's expanding things out. And I think the default position for to give Wendy something to do is give her this sort of romantic interest. And I'm with you in this one. That only really pays off to me if it's handled in a way which doesn't feel like this is how we get her in this episode, um, which is certainly how it feels moving in. And with that, though, I think... Um, once again, the portrayal of serial killers is fucking fascinating. The cast that they got for not only Manson, but Tex Watson, spot on. Um, but just like some of the stuff they're actually doing now in terms of leaning into not only what Brian may or may not, may or may not be coming, but the fact that no one in this show seems able to accept responsibility for their shortcomings. Like, that was a, a trait that we looked very much on kind of holding in the first season is his arrogance and his lack of of kind of social awareness and protocol is what makes him a deeply flawed character. But that is transcended right through in the second season is now moving out amongst them all. Like, Bill is juggling far too much and not giving anything the right amount of attention that actually requires. Um Wendy is juggling shitloads as well. She's trying to keep her sexuality, you know, secret from not only the FBI, but she's trying to graft some sort of relationship, which looks like it might be doomed from the start, to be fair. Um, And, yeah, when you're throwing the fact that not only Bill's reluctance to admit his kind of shortcomings, but when you expand this further out, you know, you've got... Uh, Ted, who's creepily trying to woo certain people over, and if that means he has to unzip the top of his colleague to try and get her to flirt, I mean, it's the, it, it speaks of the time period uh, as well, which I think is really interesting. And funnily enough, the, the guy that I kind of feel myself gravitating most to is, is Holden, who is now, as anyone that has studied the Atlanta child murderers know, um, Holding a spot on with this one, you know, if it if it doesn't look right and it doesn't smell right, regardless, even if 
the evidence is pointing you that way. If it doesn't match the profile, chances are it's not right. Um, and we will find out more as the show continues in the final four episodes. Excellent. Actually, three. There are three, three more episodes. episodes. Yeah, there are three episodes left. It ends at I've not went nine. past six, so um, I'm like the next time we speak, it'll be like a fresh first time watch for me. So excellent, excellent. I'm I'm excited to talk about these last three episodes. They're going to be good. So, um, and the last episode I think is kind of like uh, season, or not season, but episode uh, five is where it's almost a feature length thing. Oh, nice. So, so we'll do that one as its own uh, episode, but. Um, Duncan, what are you, uh, excited about to see, uh, between now and next week? And also, uh, where can people find more of you? And um, you can check out more of my stuff on podcast under the stairs. It's tputzcast.com or facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. In terms of what I'm looking forward to over the next week, um, I've just moved house. So all my movies are all over the place and I've got tons of things that have shown up, but have had zero time to watch any of them. I don't think I'm actually going out to the cinema to see anything new, but I am hoping over the the week that we have just now to finally sit down and watch the the boys. So that's my plan. Oh, you're going to love it. It's so good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I will be checking out It Chapter 2. Nice. Uh, and of course, uh, as soon as we, we hang up here, I'm going to be uh, getting ready to watch Beneath the Planet of the Apes. So I'm excited about watching that too. Um, it's a win-win for Bull. It certainly feels that way. Uh, so yeah, um, you can check out legionpodcasts.com. Uh, a couple of things that I do over there that I would uh, I would point you to. It's Pick 6 Movies. We are coming to the end. Uh, actually, as you listen to this, the finale of Season 8 will be dropping uh, on on Friday. Um, and big announcements for that one about uh, our, our schedule of release moving forward. Because um, originally we were doing, uh, uh, you know, like, hey, we're going to do one a week for six weeks and then we take a little time off. Kinda, uh, yeah, not, you've, not, not, you've not been doing that. <laughs> we have been. We, we have, have been. Yeah, we have been 100% uh, one every Friday morning. Uh, yeah, but you've not been taking time off, is what I mean. We, like, no, substantial we, time off. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we yeah we take about two three weeks and then and then jump into another season. So, but we're gonna uh, anyway. Uh, I won't spoil it. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, Legion Inc., which is exclusive to the Legion Podcasts feed, and Legion Inc. is all about comic books and and comic book related entertainment. And uh, has been surprisingly popular. Uh, people really seem to enjoy it. So I'm very, very pleased by that. Um, so that's uh, all out of me. And uh, Duncan, I guess we will see everybody one week from now to talk about the next two episodes of Mindhunter. And uh, the only thing left to do is say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Da. Da. God damn it. <laughs>